140 episodes, four awesome roundtables, 15 interviews, 11 awesome craps, but this is the 100th episode of The Awesome Cast. And welcome back to the Awesome Cast, your podcast for everything awesome. I'm your host Basil, and with me, as pretty much always now, Doug and Kevin, and that's us. Yeah, this is a hundred episodes, five years of awesome casting. Yep. Who would have thought? Well, I think I did because I think you thought that we would have hit a hundred episodes a lot sooner than we did. Well. Yes, but... There were circumstances. Yeah, things change, uh, and that's actually going to be sort of the topic of conversation when we get to it. We're going to talk about how this has been five years of uh, podcasting with the Awesome Cast, and where things were five years ago, where they are now, maybe perhaps where they're going. But until then, we're going to do everything that we normally do with an Awesome Cast. So, hi folks, welcome to the Awesome Cast. If this is somehow still your first episode of the Awesome Cast, well, welcome. I do invite you to please check out the Index of Awesome. All our previous episodes, we've talked about a whole lot of things. A hundred things, to be precise, plus. Weren't most of them anime? A lot of them were. Anime, video games, movies. Yeah, your usual usual geeky stuff. I mean, I, I guess I could have went and, you know, looked up everything, but I mean... Anime and video games are the large chunk of it. That's just Speed Racer to our new listeners. Speed Racer was a good one. Just off the top of my head. Uh, I mean, there, there, there was, you know... I still haven't ever actually listened to a single one. That's, that's okay. <laughs> that is okay. Yeah, you're right. When I say that was a good one, I'm basing it off how I remember the recording, because I don't listen to these myself most of the time. I was there, right? You know. <laughs> that's, that's pretty... pretty uh, a, a usual thing with podcasters, they don't. Yeah. Unless you're the one that's editing it, you don't usually listen to it yourself. Yeah. Huh. I'll listen to the ones I'm not in, but that's... <laughs> lately, that's not been many. Well, we, I mean, over the years, we've had a rotating cast. I mean, it's... This is... Yeah. Now, pretty much the core cast, but, you know, throughout the uh, awesome cast existence was... There has been, you know... The only one who's been in the vast majority of them has been myself. Well, as... You are the one primarily running it, buying all the equipment and everything that makes sense that you would be in all of them. Yes, except for the one. Which one? The webcomics. Oh yeah, that's right. Which was its own sort of separate thing, but we still put it out there on the Awesome Cast. We hosted it, and you know. Awesome Cast banner, and it's... It was cool, so we we hosted it. Yeah. But, um... Well, that's cool. So anyways, awesomecast.com. O-S-M-C-A-S-T dot com. Check out our index of awesome. There's the awesome galleries where we used to take pictures at anime cons, but we don't really do that much anymore. So there are old pictures from anime cons. Like, I really kind of, that's one of the things I really kind of want to get back to doing, but our main photographer now is, it used to be like James, 
But James is now so busy doing his DJ stuff now that he has time for anything else. Well, talk to Barry about it more. See about getting him to get on that more. Because, you know, he has that big fancy camera that he takes to conventions when he goes. He probably just doesn't realize that you want him to post pictures. That, that's what true. And he's giving me pictures I just need to edit. Anyways, yeah. that's, that's way more uh, insider baseball. <laughs> but if you want to send us an email, awesomecast at gmail.com. On the website, we've got our voicemail. If you want to send us a voicemail, it does still work. Thank you, Google, for phone numbers. You can leave comments. We're drinking some awesome Tennessean wine, mm. as we do sometimes. Well, actually, this is the first time we've had Tennessee wine. That uh, On our long sojourn back from Otakon, I saw a sign for a vineyard and decided I wanted to stop by in Tennessee. It was very beautiful. They had goats. They had goats. Like, it was, it was very picturesque. They do weddings there, and I could see why. Oh, yeah. It is a, it is a pretty, like... Well, there's, like, a vineyard that was right before it. Uh-huh. It wasn't nearly as pretty. No, it wasn't nearly as nice. I'm glad they had the sign that was saying, The Second Vineyard. Uh, and so <laughs> we drove down to that second vineyard, and it was very nice. Because you get on this road, and next thing you know, like it, it's it gets way more hilly, and as you turn this hill, you suddenly see the vineyards on the hills. It's very picturesque. It was really pretty to look at. Every vineyard I've ever been to has just typically just been really, really gorgeous. I think there's something about growing grapes that just inclines a place towards yes. being beautiful. And it was a much needed uh, stopover from the terror of Virginia once we finally got out of the state that would never end. Oof, yeah, Virginia took forever to drive through and out of. You remember when we went, went to NecoCon? Yes. And we hit this point where we decided that, okay... Well, we're all hungry, but we don't like any of the places that are at this exit. We'll just wait till the next exit to see what's at th- what's at that exit. And then, like, an hour and 30 minutes later, we were still desperately looking for an exit that had food on it. <laughs> like, which is funny, because right before that happened, I, you were, I was like, there's a Dunkin' Donuts. We can go to Dunkin' Donuts. And then you try to be like, no, no, Basil. That's Dunkin' Donuts. That's not real food. And then, like, 30 minutes later, you see a Dairy Queen. <laughs> and you're like, yes, Dairy Queen. And I'm like, oh, hold up. If Dunkin' Donuts isn't food, Dairy Queen definitely isn't food. Well, uh, in, no, I still defend that statement. Dairy Queen is food, whereas Dunkin' Donuts is not real food. Because Dunkin', du- du- Dunkin Donuts primarily has coffee, and they have donuts. If they have actual, like, meat at Dunkin' Donuts, I have never heard of it. If they actually serve you a meal that contains, like, chicken, or tuna, or 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 hamburger or or anything I've never heard of that being from Dunkin Donuts. I just might not have heard of it because I live here in the south, but I've never heard of Dunkin Donuts having anything other than donuts and beverages. At Dairy Queen, they actually do serve like chicken finger baskets, hot dogs. You know, it's not good food, but it's food. Well, I also remember that after we had talked about Dunkin Donuts, the conversation actually did go to Dairy Queen, before we saw the Dairy Queen, and you commented how your whole family tends to get sick. Yeah, we do. Every time you yeah, get a Dairy Queen. every time. 
Yeah, so that's that's why you were very easily able to dissuade me from Dairy Queen. I was simply noting place with food. Although now, speaking of five year changes, they do sell like chicken salad sandwiches and things oh. of that nature. Like, like Dunkin' Donuts actually has a, lot, has a pretty decent breakfast menu now. Would they have had it at that time at night? Uh, at least like the chicken like salad sandwiches stuff too. Well, of course, when I, we went, I don't know if they had that yet. Again, that's something else that has also changed is that Dairy Queen now has, is selling much better food. Like, Barry and I often go and tabletop game with a friend of ours, and they live way far out in the country, and the only thing even remotely near their house is a Dairy Queen. And their chicken fingers are their chicken finger basket is actually pretty good. Hmm. hmm. Been to Don't know about Queen. the rest of their food. I haven't been to Dairy Queen in a real long time. Yeah. But that's that's more for the actual main segment. So now I guess then but so instead we're gonna go straight into moments of awesome. It's a moment of awesome. You need to just go ahead and write that into a song because you always do the same one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try to be uniform. I, it's a, so I think sometimes it makes it in. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it pretty much always makes it in. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things that, you know, we, we can no longer do, like, a a thing for it because you've now been so prolific in doing it. It would now feel really weird to not do it. Yeah, I Like, guess maybe if we ter- turned that into, like, its own, like, techno beat via James, <laughs> I, I don't know that that might be something that we may convince him to do one day, but... The techno remix of Moment of Awesome. <laughs> like, but in the end, like, I don't think any, anyone else can even sing it. Like, it has to be you. Hmm. Like, I think at one point James even had like a separate audio file of just you doing it once, <laughs> just in case we had to have a separate file. Fo- you know, we we needed it. Hmm. So no, you're you're stuck with that one, Kevin. That is that is your that's what you've left as your mark. Well, there you go. Is the moment of awesome song? Yes. So then, what is your moment of awesome, Kevin? I can't don't be the, know. It can't be the song. It's pretty awesome. I mean, you know, like I do it, and I do it the same way. Yeah, I know it's it's only a moment, it's but it's a moment, and it's awesome. It's totally a moment of awesome. Um, I don't know because it hasn't been a lot other than we went to an anime con. Um, there have been a lot of changes. Well, you were talking about Simpho Gear like a week ago that you were debating on talking about. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I well maybe it's just my perception amongst my friends, but nobody's watching Simpho Gear. <laughs> I feel that's an accurate assessment. Yes, but uh, Simpo Gear, which is on a second season now, Simpo Gear G. Um, in a nutshell, it's girls fight weird alien creature from another dimension with power armor powered by song. Um, uh, I can't think of her name, but her actual name, the voice actress who did Madoka and Pueli Magi Madoka Magica, is the main character, uh, Hibiki who kind of stumbles into this because she gets a chunk of one of these things lodged in her heart. (laughs) And then she can suddenly create the magical armor. Um, The original owner dies in the first episode. Not That's a little bit of a spoiler, but... (laughs) Um, So why should we want to watch this show, Kevin? Sell this on us. Sell it to me. Why Why do I care? It's got some really awesome action. Um... The first season has some quality, all caps quality moments, uh, because it was it's animated by satellite, and the year they were doing it, they were also doing two other shows. 
Um, oh, the AKB0048 and Moretsu Space Pirates. And I think it was kind of their C-list team was often the ones working on Symphogear. Fortunately, the new season is a lot more cleanly animated all the time. Um, pretty good music, really good songs. I honestly really love the armor design of the various girls. Uh, um, one of which is basically every Gundam rolled into one uh, in terms of her abilities and weapons. Uh, the main character, Hibiki, she uh, kind of has a big O piston action punch arm. It's pretty cool. Um, and the the noise, the other dimensional things that are creeping in and eating people and are horrible, uh, have really eclectic designs. <laughs> they look like, well, not to make another Madoka comparison, but they look like they're kind of almost animated in a different fashion than the rest of everything in the show. So they are kind of, they look very alien within the setting. So it's kind of neat. I'm, it's not the... It doesn't have the deepest plot in the world. I mean, it's mostly there for cool action and girls being awesome. And a tiny bit of fan service, but not as much as you might expect from the genre. Um, and it's just... Like, I really love the first season, and I'm glad they started up a second season, and I'm enjoying that so far. And I do hear people online talking about it, but amongst my circle of friends, it doesn't seem like anybody's watching it but me. And so I just want to, like, go, Watch Symphogear! You know, I'm sure that if, say, you got a Twitter account probably find other like fans that you could discuss this with Kevin. But then I wouldn't be Twitterless Kevin. Unless you take the Twitter handle Twitterless Kevin. I possibly <laughs> could. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't have a phone, so it always seems like Twitter is hard to deal with unless you have a smartphone. Uh, yeah, you could be right. Which is funny because originally Twitter got became popular because you could use it by via text messaging and actually have to use a smartphone to use it. But nowadays, because people actually like looking at their feed and blah, 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 you actually now it's really nice yeah. to have it as a but, app. In right? any case, I really like Simple Gear. I honestly like the, the, the protagonist goes from, I don't really know what I'm doing, shy, timid girl, to hot-blooded, ass-kicking protagonist in a somewhat believable arc. <laughs> um, and she continues to be a hot-blooded, ass-kicking protagonist. And that's neat. Good. Do you want to go next, or shall I? Why don't you go? All right, well, I'm going to, since, you know, sometimes we have more than one, I'm going to take two. Yeah, you already started with uh, the Tennessee Vineyard. Well, okay, then now three. Like, but that was before we actually had Kevin sing the song, so I don't, I do not feel that it counts. <laughs> it doesn't count if I haven't well, I think it counts, yet. but, like, I think you should just mention it now. Go on. Anyways, the first thing I'm doing, uh, it came out today as we record, but DuckTales Remastered. Woo. Woo-hoo. Which is, uh, Way 4 took the original NES DuckTales and completely revamped it for HD with full-on, like, super well-animated sprites. They got, they actually wrote in a plot for the game. And they Video got, games need plot? What? <gasps> well, what they did was they contextualized it so it actually almost feels like kind of a, more like an episode of DuckTales. <laughs> yeah. And then they got all the original voice actors. That's amazing. Including, like, the 92 or 93-year-old guy who did Uncle Scrooge. Wow. Like, and everyone else, if they can get original voice actor, actress, they did. And so they have little cutscenes of, you know, dialogue. The All the dialogue sounds just as hokey and cheesy as it would have been in the during DuckTales, so it sounds authentic. You know, completely. The gameplay is still very much there. What they've done, apparently, is they sort of 
refigured, rejiggered all the um, all the levels so that they more interconnect with one another now. Yeah. Like all the level pieces are still there. They're just now connected in a more sensible manner. And they extend things a little bit here and you know and there and you know, they sort of you know, it's it's definitely it's very much the original game, but in a way it's its own game. And they get brand new like remastered chip tunes for all those songs that do some modern embellishments here and there. It's 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 a really well done thing. I'm honestly looking forward to playing this. I've downloaded it, I just haven't gotten to take a crack at it yet. And then I think the other thing was the anime. And I haven't really played too much of it, so I don't want to talk about it too much because I've only played like Amazon, a little bit of Transylvania. But what I've a little played was really enjoyable. And then the other one is actually is an anime that's airing this season, Gotcha Man Crowds. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, which is being, um, it's Tatsunoko, you know, producing it, of course. It's, it's, it's Gotcha Man is Tatsunoko, but it's being done by the guys who made uh, Tsuritama a oh. couple of seasons ago. And it's it's interesting. I'm still like I'm not caught up with it, but what I've seen has been very neat. Yes. Um, I wouldn't say confusing, but it feels like they they they've yet to fully like unveil their whole right. hand. Now, if you've seen the original Gotcha Man and you start watching this show, you may be going, "What the hell does this have to do with Gotcha Man?" And it honestly takes a few episodes to even start making any connections. But it is starting to make some connections, and I hope it continues to do so. But it's got, like, on one hand, you've got, you know, ostensibly you've got your superheroes fighting aliens. And when they transform into the Gotcha Man, they're in these, these CG, CG-fied, like, you know, suits of the awesomeness. Yeah, they're kind of a little bit Persona meets Tiger and Bunny. Which, I'm not normally the biggest fan of CG on top of traditional animation, and I'm still not, but Gotchman Crowds does it a bit better than than most. It helps that a lot of the times they don't actually do the superhero stuff in the suits. A lot of it has been like, a big thing is this computer program that most people have on their smartphones called uh, Galax. Yeah, Galax. And it's sort of very similar to the MMO-esque program that, you, that they showed off in Summer Wars. Where everything is pretty much being... It's a, it's a, it's an omnipresent social network that does a really good job of a gamifying everything by gamifying attaching like tan like not tangible but some sort of reward like level ups and things for helping people you know it's <laughs> like for example if someone says oh no someone just someone broke their leg like on a crowded street. If they're, if you're a doctor and you've got that program and you're near that person, it'll alert you that that person needs help, which is an interesting idea. But uh, and then when they, how the person gets helped, like someone will type in, "Hey, hey, we 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 did it. We solved the problem." And it's like, "Yay, you leveled up the world!" You know. <laughs> of course, there are implications that this computer thing is actually a way more sinister thing than it appears. But <laughs> but then they also have the fact that all the Gotcha men are powered by these like little notes, which are da- yeah. pretty much daily planners, like little notebooks. Yeah, they're uh, they're uh, they're daily planners. They're very popular thing in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually own one myself that I need to use more often. But you know, and the main character is this girl who's really big into collecting these these notes. Well, she's into like all sorts of paper craft stuff too, just in general. 
Well, when she's introduced. Yeah. Like, she is known for having a bunch of these planners. Yeah. You, you're, it's some of your establishing character moments. She has a sh- ton of planners. And different, for different reasons, and one just because it's cute. <laughs> and, you know, the actual main, the male lead, as it were, is like the, is the super, like, shonen hero-y, like, you know, but in, not, not the, let's do everything, more of the stalwart, I'm the hero, and that's what I'm doing to be a hero. Uh, whereas actually the girls way more shonen heroy in that we're going to do everything and it's going to be awesome and great. But he tries to introduce her to the world of being a gotcha man as she turns out to be a gotcha man. And then the second episode flip flops where the first episode is your sort of her POV as she's learning about this whole gotcha man thing. Then the POV almost flips to him as he watches her like completely dismantle everything he knows about existence. <laughs> like because the way that they're doing things is totally dumb and stupid and she doesn't see why they're doing it so she's going to do things her way and that's going to be better <laughs> and she's ostensibly so far seeming to be right <laughs> and so this show it, it does a very good job of going like okay I think you're going in this direction now you're going in that direction alright now wait okay now you're going in another completely different direction Wait, now, now you're going in another direction. Okay, but I think I know know where you're going. Unless you make a swerve there, and you know, I think you're going, oh no, but you zigzag there. Like, the show is, it's really neat. It's really interesting. And I'm pretty sure that it's good. <laughs> but. Yeah, I'm about an episode behind, but that's the con. So, I'm really enjoying it. But I, it's, it's one of those, it's a show that, you know, it's, you would think, oh, it's just going to be a superhero show. But it obviously has, like, much grander yeah. ideas in I'm store. I'm fairly carefully keeping up with that, Simple Gear, and Attack on Titan. Uh, there are other shows I'm watching, but I've fallen behind an episode or two, and I'm kind of catching up at random. But those three shows I've been keeping pretty current with. But yeah, so I definitely can re- recommend it. I, I just... It's just... It's it's really interesting. No. Okay. I have four things to talk about this time. Too many things. <laughs> No, it's never too many things. Okay, I'll try to be brief about all of them, though, since there's four of them. The first two are anime. Uh, The two anime that I am watching from this season, this current season of anime, is uh, Mushibogyo, which is... It's more or less your... It's more or less your basic shonen, Your basic shonen show... Featuring your basic shonen hero, he's a little bit of your stupid derp shonen hero. Um, and it's set around about, like, they actually reference, um, they actually reference one of the actual Japanese shogun who ruled over Japan at one point in history, and he is a character and fanboy of our main protagonist within the context of the show. (laughs) <laughs> putting it to somewhere during the 1700s. And so naturally, our main character is a samurai, and he is going to be the best samurai in the world, and he has come to he has come to Edo because his father was summoned to join was summoned to join the Edo Bug Patrol, the, the insect department. And what the and what the insect department is of the, uh, 
or, or what the insect offices are, is basically, Japan is infested with giant human-eating bugs. Ah. Like... So there's a fantastical element to this show. Yes. Three-story sto- three tall, like, centipedes regularly ravage through the town, and they have to be dealt with, and normal samurai aren't badass enough to handle these giant insects. They can only be handled by special, super awesome people. And so, of our main cast, we have our protagonist, who is aiming to be the be- is the son of the best samurai in all of Japan. Uh, he's, we, gotta, he's gotta be the very best, like no one ever was. Yes. <laughs> um, the Another girl, another female member of the team is the last ninja of the Chinpoko style. Yes. Kevin is raising his eyebrow, for those of you who can't see it, as Chinpoko also means penis. That's what I was thinking. She was taught taught the style by her grandfather, and when she said that she wanted to take her ninjutsu to Edo to, to show how powerful ninjutsu actually was that there would be a renewed interest in ninjutsu he informed her with the utmost fervor that this is not a style intended for girls <laughs> and yeah so they've been running with that joke <laughs> oh my uh there's another there's another character who is a master who is a master I don't want to say swordsman because he's not just a master with swords, he's a master with all blades. Pretty much as they're doing the explanations for all the characters, they do all the introductions and explain who they are, where they're from, why they're so crazy powerful, and their explanation for him is, he's a criminal. And then they just move on. (laughs) Hmm. Implying that he's really just axe crazy. (laughs) I like axe crazy. Uh... Third third character before the main character comes to... That's already a member of the bug fighting squad is a small young boy who uses uh, Shikigami, which implies that he's from either a noble or or a priestly household. Uh, But he's a very young child. And then there's another member of the team who is this complete and utter, like, badass, so badass that he actually puts the main character to shame in, like, the first episodes, and the main character has yet to surpass him. But it's kind of implied that he's going to. And it's basically a really cute little, it's a really cute little anime, you know, for an anime about flesh-eating bugs. It's one Uh. of those things where... It sounds horrific to describe it, but the way anime does it, 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 it feels heartwarming. You watch it and you feel your soul get lighter. Well, yes, as it gets devoured <laughs> by these bugs. But it also gets saved, and you see, like, the, the bit most shown anything about our, the, the virtue, uh, the virtus of our main character is actually that he is just so honest and earnest and sincere about his beliefs. He's so sincere that other characters are just blatantly flabbergasted and confused by the fact that he has 
absolutely no double meaning. He has absolutely nothing other than exactly what he said, which for a 1700s Japanese imperial court, well, it's not imperial court, it's actually the shogun court, but it would still be, you would actually expect people to have underlying meanings behind what they're saying. And so it is sort of a bit of, like... And that's probably part of how it manages to get its cute little cute edge in, is mm. just the earnestness of our protagonist. So what's thing number two? Thing number two is another anime, to go a completely different route, another anime that is currently airing is called A Sunday Without God. The premise for this anime is that God created the world, everything was nice and everything was good. Uh, this is a little bit of a spoiler for the first story arc, but again, it's something that is revealed within the first story arc, so I feel it's fair game to talk about as part of the premise. Uh, and it's never actually even confirmed within the first story arc. Oh, uh, one of the other characters who me meets our young girl protagonist, uh, our young girl protagonist is, um, she's a gravekeeper, and it's the job of the gravekeeper to bury the dead. You partially wonder why is a little girl doing, you watch the first episode partially wondering why a little girl has been tasked with this job of digging graves for the dead when there's this big town that she lives in that's full of people who love her. But... Uh, as the anime goes on to reveal, uh, God has, according to the characters in the anime, God has abandoned this world that the anime is set in. And the explanation that's given by one of the other characters, and again, it's not really confirmed, is that God created the world, everything is well and good, and that continued on for a long time. But then God got bored with the world, and so God started granting people's wishes. And then people wished for so many things, back and forth, all which way around. You know, people wished that nobody would ever have to die. Okay, well then people started wanting to die, so God started letting people die, but you just don't die when you die. So then people started wishing that they could have a way to die when they die, so that God made gra grave keepers, which is why this little girl was digging the graves because for various sad reasons and then you know after getting fed up with everybody you know making wishes and never being happy with their wishes god got fed up with the world and left and that is at least the theory that is proposed by one by one of the characters in the first story arc we have yet to see whether or not this is actually true um I read a little bit of the manga long before this anime came out, and it was actually depicted as a Goro manga uh, for all the, you know, walking corpses and things running around. <laughs> it, it gets a little grisly, and I would, it's, I don't want to say this is a dark anime. It has its dark themes, but it almost feels a little bit like the dark themes are maybe... They're, they're going for that a little bit too hard, so it fails in actually being dark. But it does succeed in presenting you with a great mystery of going, why is this like this? And I, while I've explained one like premise of the overall world, I have not by any means explained any of the premises behind any of the story arcs. 
Uh, so that's one of the anime that's being released this season that I'm really enjoying. And I think other people should check it out too. Uh, the next two things are video games that I've played recently. And I don't think I mentioned last time, so I'm going to mention them this time. And I'm probably a little bit behind the curve on these. People have probably already heard of these, but listen, but if you haven't heard of them before, hear of them now. Uh, the first one is a PlayStation 3 game called Journey. And it is simply beautiful. The game is absolutely beautiful. It's a little bit... It's complete... It, it's... Ugh. I don't know how to even begin describing it. Uh, it's very, very scenic. The premise of the game is, more or less, you're on a journey. You're going somewhere. And that's more or less it. Anything else that it has to tell you with the story, it tells you with as much visuals as possible because there's no real audibles. Uh, your main character chirps a little bit. But that's the only real... Co and there are occasionally, like, images, like, uh, paintings on walls type images that give you a clue about what you're supposed to do next or show you what you've already done or, or summarize the story for you. But that's more or less all you've got. <laughs> and yet it's still a very heart-wrenching story. It's a story that really... It, it hits you on a strong emotional level and it keeps going. And you can play through the entire game in a single sitting. Like, when I first discovered it on Basil's PlayStation 3, I played it in one sitting before Barry even woke up, and then I played it again just to show him. Because it was absolutely beautiful. Um, the other thing I've been playing a lot of is Tokyo Jungle... Originally, we were playing this on our our own PlayStation 3, which is, this is my moment to fuck you now. <laughs> Basil has been kind enough to lend us his PlayStation 3, but my moment to fuck you goes to Sony for the PlayStation 3. I had, until a couple of weeks ago, one of the original generation PlayStation 3s. Because it was really important to me. For some reason, I don't know why, I think it's because I grew up with the Nintendo and the Super Nintendo, which still work to this day. I still have my Nintendo, and I still have my Super Nintendo plugged up into my TV, and they play the games. I've had to crack open a few cartridges and reinstall batteries, but that's been about it. The system still works. So it's very important to me that I am able to play the games that I have purchased. If I own a copy of the game, I should be able to play it. It's just kind of how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. I make an exception for MMOs because part of the game is the online experience, and so when that goes away, yeah. that's, a diff that's a separate thing other than like the physical object, which is the game. So... Being able to play PlayStation 2 games was super important to me. It's why I went out of my way to make sure that my PlayStation was first generation. Because it's one of the only... Because I don't know when the PlayStation 3 stopped making them backwards compatible. But something Sony's been doing very, very quietly is reneging on the backwards compatibility of the PlayStation 3. It still plays PlayStation 1 games. 
but it doesn't play PlayStation 2 yeah, games. The, the first release, was it a 20 and 40? It was a 20 and a 60. The 20 and 60s did. They were backwards compatible, and they had hardware, built-in hardware backwards compatibility. But that's exactly why, that's almost, that's, yeah. that's why Sony reneged on there. Yeah, the 80 gig that came out, which was the first one I got, had software emulation. Well, had, originally they had both the graphics chip and the, they had both the, the chip for the, the processor and the graphics chip. Mm-hmm. In both, in the, in the original PS3s. Mm-hmm. I remember which one, they took one of them out and they replaced the other part with software emulation. And that was the 80 gig you got. Yeah. And after that, they dropped the backwards compatibility. After that, yeah. they took out both parts. Now, there are now several games that you can buy and download to your PS3 that are all fully software, soft, soft, soft where based backwards compatible. Yeah, like I got God Hand and Ring of Red because I never owned those as PS2, and they're cool, but that's uh... But, well, I'm, I'm just so angry at Sony because, you know, the PlayStation 4 is coming out really soon. Yeah. So, I probably am going to have to buy a PlayStation 2 and then wait for the PlayStation 4 to come out to buy a PlayStation 3. And I technically don't have to buy a PlayStation 4 anymore. Like, you know, I don't have to keep buying into the game. But I probably will simply because, you know, I like playing games. Yeah, I mercifully <laughs> sell a PS2 that works. But I kind of do feel... I am... I, I am kind of angry that the system broke. Like, I, I, part of the reason that I've, I've been able to keep my first-generation PlayStation 3 for so long has been because I honestly really didn't play it that much. I, I played my 360 way more this generation than I played my PlayStation 3, and it's only been right here at the end of the generation, right as we're about to swap over, that I've really started to play the PlayStation 3 more than any other system. And so... You know, it, it, I think maybe two really intense, like, I'm playing a game on this system sessions, and then it breaks. And so I feel heartbroken. I feel as though Sony sold me a faulty product, and everybody's just accepting it. Well, it's kind of hard because, I mean, you say that, but how many 360s did you go through? I went through, like, five. I went through, like, five <laughs> 360s. Uh, so, back to a moment of awesome. I highly recommend Best Buy's uh, warranty plan, which I think they no longer offer because people kept doing exactly what I did with my 360, where I would buy the uh, the warranty plan, but when the 360 breaks, it breaks in such a way that they can't actually fix it in the store, so they just have to give you a new one. So every every time I took the 360 back to Best Buy, they would not only get me my 360, they would not only let me get a new 360, but the price of the 360 had dropped, so I actually had just enough money to buy a new warranty. And I did that for about five systems. So really, if you had never bought that one warranty... Yeah. Like, you would have gotten screwed way sooner. But this is ironic, well, maybe not ironic, but... It's like, you, you take that all nonchalantly, like, you assume the Microsoft stuff will break down, but you expect quality out of Sony. Yeah, weirdly <laughs> enough, I just assumed that Microsoft's wasn't going to work, but... Which is really weird, because both the PlayStation 1 and 2 both had their own issues. Yeah, 2's it's... got some laser read height stuff, and 1, I don't remember, but it had some stuff. 
Well, it, it is true, and actually it all boils down to disc reading systems versus cartridge systems. It just reminded me, oh, this is why Nintendo resisted moving to... Disc-based for a long Yeah, time. Re- resisted moving to a di- disc-based system. Amongst many other reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I had to replace my PS3 not too long ago also, so I um, no longer have backwards compatible. But fortunately, my PS2 apparently still works. I broke it out and it, it works, so yay. Uh, I gave my PlayStation 2 away to my sister. <laughs> but so anyway, Tokyo Jungle. Oh yeah, that's right. That was our point, yeah, okay. Um, <gasps> okay, the re- the whole reason I brought up the faultiness of the PlayStation 3 was that uh, my husband and I had played Tokyo Jungle. We were actually playing it together because it's one of those games where it's actually really neat to watch somebody else play it. And we developed the system where we traded off, like, where we played it in turns. You know, he would get a turn and then I would get a turn. And we'd both take our turns playing as an animal. The setting of the game is that humans have for some reason, mysteriously disappeared. And so now animals, you know, pet, you know, animals that were kept as house pets, uh, animals that have escaped from the zoo, animals that have now wandered into the empty city from the wilderness. Animals that have no business existing in the, any setting. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'll get to those. Uh, you know, you're now playing as those. I think the two... The, the the two starting the two starting animals are uh the pomeranian yeah it's the pomeranian and the the sika deer yeah. which is a native deer to japan They're kind of a little tiny deer yeah th- those are your two starting animals and from there you unlock all the other animals like there's different like unlocking trees that you go through you know some animals unlock different you know unlock multiple animals while other animals only unlock one uh but it's this vast network of animals that you unlock, and at first, it's really when you're first playing the game, it's really really hard. And then there's kind of a learning curve. Right now, Barry and I are at the stage where we can get to year sixty pretty easily. I've made it to year one hundred twenty-five. This is year one hundred twenty-five of surviving after humans. But. And I'm aware that there are still people online who have gotten much, 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 much further than this, and I doubt it was just l- one lucky run for them. <laughs> uh, but about year 60, one of the other animals starts to kind of emerge. And that is the dinosaur. What dinosaurs are doing, I have no idea. I My best playthrough was that 125-year run as a tiger... You know, and I was so excited to be a tiger. Like, something inside me was just like, yes, I am a tiger. Roar! As I would just run from zone to zone to zone. And it's all set in, uh, it's all set around the area of Shibuya Station. Uh, it goes a little bit further north of Shibuya Station, uh, up to Yayogi Park. And all the way down into, like, the shopping district and the suburbs that surround Shibuya Station. But it's all set in that area of Japan, that little neighborhood. It was in that little area of Tokyo. Hence, Tokyo Tokyo Jungle. Jungle. Yeah. Uh, So I was a tiger running around in the Tokyo Jungle. Very proud of myself because as a predator, you have to 
kill other animals and eat them for your food, and if you don't kill things fast enough, you will starve to death. Uh, if, if you're playing as an herbivore, you have to, you have to find, you have to do, you have to find grasses and fruits and things to eat that are growing, while at the same time avoiding the predators. Um, and this, you also have to avoid better predators than you if you're playing something like the Pomeranian, which still needs to kill, like, rabbits and birds and things, but mm. needs to avoid the tigers. <gasps> <laughs> yeah. But as the tiger, uh, tigers need to avoid lions and apparently dinosaurs. <laughs> but I was all proud of myself because I was playing as a tiger and I was really getting into it. And I had actually mastered how to take down a dinosaur as a tiger. I was actually even... It actually kind of broke my heart a little playing the game when it... Like, one of the options is it lets you play as a beagle or a golden retriever. I think you can also download Silky Terriers as another dog type that you They've can play. They've got a fair amount of ant, download ant content. Yeah. yeah, like you can also download the panda for extra content. But, you know, it's got so many animals that unless you just love the game, you don't have to download that and you'll still be very satisfied. Uh, but it always kind of broke my heart a little when I was playing as the Beagle and I had to kill and eat Pomeranians. <laughs> or silky terriers. There was something about that that I just felt was wrong. And you know, as a tiger, it hit me again. It's like when the silky terriers or when the beagles or the golden retrievers came up after me and they wanted to. And, um, you know, I was hungry, so I had to eat, but <laughs> I still felt bad. And actually, that was probably the worst part of the game. Is I really wish I could turn off, like. I wish that I could turn off Silky Terrier and Be Beagle while I'm playing as Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. When I was playing as just like a normal house cat, that was fine. That was the natural order of things. But <laughs> but it really kind of... But playing as a Tiger, when I got to year 100 and there started being like saber-toothed Tigers around, hanging around the place, didn't feel any guilt about killing those and eating those. Felt absolutely... <laughs> Okay. Yeah, felt absolutely like more confident in my awesomeness as a tiger. Uh, and what actually killed me was surprisingly, I went, I made the mistake of going down into the sewers. Now, is this really spoiler territory at this point? I don't so? know. If it is spoiler territory, I don't know what the spoiler is because Tokyo Jungle is so weird. Uh, mind, this is before I realized that there was a story mode. But, uh, <laughs> I got killed by a swarm, uh, like, my tiger finally got killed by a swarm of, like, homo erectus that were hanging out in the in the sewers, and that didn't make any, any sense. So, that inspired me to go back and look at the story, and we realized that we should have been alternating between doing the story, story and survival mode in order to unlock and figure out what was going on, and that's immediately when our PlayStation 3 died, and so we've had to been catching up to where we were. I'm just shocked that... I, I mean, I know it has, a, it has a thing called story mode. I'm shocked that there's an actual story there. Evidently, there's an actual story there. And so far, it's pretty cool. I still don't have any explanations for the dinosaurs and... <laughs> well, we have no explanations for dinosaurs or humans, really anything... But stick with us, as we're about to get into a whole lot of babbling about a whole lot of things. 
We're going to look back at these past five years, where we were five years ago, where we are now, what could things be in the future? All that and more as we continue the Awesome 100. Welcome back to the Awesome Cast, your podcast for everything awesome. Here in our hundredth episode, one hundred. But before we get into things, here are some message, messages of congratulations we got from Twitter, like from Jam Jam. Congratulations, Jared In. Congratulations, comma man. John Robbins from Chainsaw. Congrats! Can't wait to hear it when you release in two thousand and fifteen. That's someone who knows us. <laughs> That's a listener. That's a fan right there. No, a fan of ours is a guy who goes on Twitter by the handle at Passion Tentacle. Ah. And he has been through us through thick and thin. He has always listened to us. Aww. Whether we've done like only a couple episodes that year or a bunch of episodes that year. Uh, and the guy tends to feel down on himself as he's a geek and a nerd and sometimes we can do that to one to ourselves. Aww. And I just want to let him know, as well as everyone else who listens to this podcast, you are all amazing, wonderful gentlemen and ladies who obviously have consummate taste because you listen to us babble. And so no matter how down you think you are, you are amazing and you are awesome. And we know this because we're the awesome cast, the podcast for everything awesome. Nice plug. Yeah. For ourselves. Yeah. On our own podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but really, I'm plugging you people. That didn't sound right. But you know what? I'm going to go with that. I still remember as Basil was eating dinner with us saying, No, I'll get a hard one again later. <laughs> and I did. He did. Delicious taco night. Oh, yeah. Taco you know, night. saying it's taco night doesn't make it sound any less wrong. It's, it's, it's true. No. It's true. <laughs> Nothing more untoward than the literal interpretation of that statement actually happened, <laughs> to my knowledge. So, here it is, 2013. It's September. No, August. We're in August. Not September yet. Thank God. You better put this up before September. Oh, let's look up. <laughs> yeah. This is going up next Monday. This yeah. is, I'm hoping it is. We, 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 we have crossed the, the 2015 next year borders. We're, we've been releasing updating on time for three podcasts in a row now. Woo! We are, we are doing well. But our first episode happened in March 8, 2008. 3808. Mm. And so it's, it's been some time. Yeah, it we, has. We started with a rock band. <laughs> was our very uh, first topic of conversation was rock band. Remember when oh, rock band wow. was relevant kids? <laughs> Maybe you don't. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Man, it's been forever since I played that game, and I even got the, the special like Beatles edition and everything. Yeah. 
like, but yeah, but in 08, no nine, like it was, it was a really prolific thing we all did together. Yeah, we did play rock band. All the, we did it like once a week. Everyone yeah. would come over here. We'd all play rock band. I practiced the drums like really hard. The rest of us would fight over who got to be the singing part. Yeah. Like you know, James was wailing on the guitar. Yeah. Like rock band was, you know, for its flash in the pan, it was. Super, super, super fun. Well, as long as one person had it, you could entertain like four of your, you and three of your friends, you know, pretty easily. Well, it, and it all, to see the four of you performing like that often would entertain other people, a decent yeah. crowd too. Like there were several of our friends who never actually played; they just wanted to watch us play. Although usually we could talk them into doing the voices, the right. singing part, or the like bass because that was the easiest guitar. Yeah. Usually to play that part was usually... And you could always play out easy. All people play out hard. And... That was not true in the Beatles version. <laughs> there were many times in the Beatles version where the... Where the bass part was just as hard as the guitar part, if not harder. That's what you get for a rock band based on real musicians. <laughs> okay, that's ha, not fair. Ha, ha. That's not fair. Rock band had a lot of good music in it. Well, there's also a case of, you know, by the point rock band Beatles came out, it was the equivalent of, like, rock band three or four. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, they had... They expected you to know what the hell you were doing when you picked it up. You know, by that point, even like, I think Rock Band 2, like, the bass parts would have gotten more intricate. Yeah. Like, you know, it was the case of, like, you know, part of it was they had built the bass initially to be an easier part, mm-hmm. I believe. That Just because the bass was more simpler. I mean, the bass parts were also simpler because they were, like, you know, the, the foundation. Right. Mm-hmm. A band but, lives or dies by its bass. Yeah. Although I do remember when they, they announced the Rock Band Beatles, my, even my mom was like, Honey, are you thinking about getting that Rock Band Beatles? My dad was very happy to get that for me as a, for a gift, mm-hmm. for whatever occasion it was he was getting me a gift for. Because, you know, he's, my dad's a big Beatles fan, and so he yeah. loved the fact that same, I wanted that. Same with my mom, and same with myself, even. I'm You know, Beatles are awesome. Uh, but. but, yeah, and of course, and now and harmonics is still... A, Alive and well, they did Dance Central, mm-hmm. which sort of did the whole rock band thing, but with dancing. Yeah, it also used the Kinect, so we never touched it. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it did kind of drift more from those instrument instrument games to the dance games. Well, I think part of that's because uh, those controllers are so expensive. Yes, like oh, to and... buy all of those controllers to have all of that stuff. While well, I did have that stuff, you know, the guitars would occasionally go out, and I'd have we'd have to go buy new ones. Mm-hmm. And because there's three of us, there were three of us living here back then. We could split the cost, but you know, it, it was expensive to keep and maintain all those controllers. Whereas the Connect, I don't know if it breaks or not. Not really, but it's a thing where you put it. It stays in its one spot. You don't have to really move it around if you don't want to, and you just get up in front of it and play. It like, just sits there and watches you. Which is why I won't allow it in my house. Which is funny, but uh, that gets into the video game parts, but what they're doing with Connect now. But, the Awesome Cast, really, the idea of awesome, the Awesome Cast started even before March of 08. Like, even, because even the first episode, we actually first tried to record about Kakaishi. was actually our first topic we tried to talk about. Why didn't, what? Because we stumbled, around, we stumbled, we stumbled on it too much. Oh. Like, we decided that it was too complicated to talk about. So we decided to do something similar, simpler, and that was Rockman. Okay. 
like, but the whole idea started actually, like, either a year or two before, two years before the first Awesome Cast actually was recorded. Um, it was around the time, uh, I think one of yours or the version, I was, I was just now listening to the podcast at the time, and it was a bunch of video game podcasts. And I'm talking to Eric, you know, rest his soul, you know, on AIM. And we decided to make a, uh, a website called The Awesome Blog. And we would, it was more or less our version of Ain't It Cool News and be all about stuff that we thought was awesome and we want to talk about in a blog format. And then I was like, and once a week we can do like an awesome cast, a podcast that would go with The Awesome Blog. And Eric's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And then, so I register The Awesome Blog website to come up with a logo and stuff. And then we look at it and go, that sounds like work. Let's let's not let's not do a blog. That sounds like it's that require upkeep and we're lazy. And so we didn't do it. But I started thinking, well, a podcast, since that's weekly, it's not every day, it wouldn't be as quite as intensive. Maybe we can do a weekly podcast. And I kinda wanna do anime. And Eric wanted to do other things that weren't weren't anime. And so we decided that we would just do whatever. Awesome things. And around about that time, I was, since I was really, I was going to like let's let's oh man that let's news jingle from you know uh, work store power from Macross Plus was awesome and I we could use that to talk about news and we do this and that and around the same time, some guy named Daryl Surratt announced that he was going to start a new anime podcast with some of his friends called Animal Order. I listened to the first episode. That was what I wanted to do. Complete with a. News portion that started with the exact same, you know, audio track I wanted to use. <laughs> and I was like, well, okay, never mind. They're doing what I want to do anyway. So yeah, that's you know, a big it, difference. Remember when we talked about news? Like, yeah, that, that is something <laughs> different. Yeah. Um, but like, then, to, to finish up the story, uh, then you can rally for one to talk about news. Um, Doug and I. Went to AWA, where AWO was doing a panel uh, for AWO. And it was an AWO panel by AWO. I'm like, well, uh, well they, they've been doing a good job. I'm going to go meet them. And I go to that panel room, and there's people talking. And I knew Daryl, who Daryl was. But I didn't know Daryl or Clarissa at the time. But Daryl wasn't there, but there were three people. And these other two people, they don't sound like Gerald or Clarissa. What's going on? Well, as it turned out, that was actually Paul Chapman of Greatest Movie Ever and Aaron and Noah from the, from the uh, Ninja Consultants. Because A.D.B.O. had lined up, um, I believe it was Ishiguro, an interview with him. Mm. And they had set up their interview at the same time as their panel. And so they had to make a decision. Do we get to interview the super prolific, super important anime director or do our panel? They chose correctly. They they threw their panel off onto their friends who were also podcasters, and they went and did that interview, which is really good because the guy unfortunately passed away a year or two ago. And so, but I'm I'm listening to them, realizing what's going on. I'm like, wait a minute, I could have a podcast, and then years later, I could do an AWO podcast any way without having an AWO there. <laughs> that could be me. Why aren't I doing a podcast? Yeah, Basil, why didn't you do a podcast? Well, I did do a podcast. Awesome! <laughs> Can I be on it? Uh, well, we'll talk. 
It's okay. hot. Well, you got to workshop that. <laughs> but yeah, that's when I finally was like, all right, no, folks, we're working with this podcast. James was like, or DJ Inabito, as he tends to go online, was like, hey, I'll edit it. I know how to do sound stuff. And he worked up a couple of quick, you know, audio tracks to do like the various openings and ending themes. And I hoodwinked Eric and Doug and be my co-hosts. And we started. And the first couple of weeks, we, we, we really did stumble over ourselves because talking to a microphone is not as easy as we thought it would be. Yeah. Like, we're, we're pretty used to it now, but... Well, I remember that that first Kakaishi... That first Kakaishi podcast, we sat there and we stared at the microphone... As if it was something that was going to come out and bite us. In addition to sitting there going, uh, uh, um, which we still do. Or at least I still do. But at least I'm a little bit better about not being nervous about the microphone being there. Yeah, like, you know, because originally the whole idea was that I felt that my friends and I, we have some, I believe, we at least I like to think, we have somewhat, you know, interesting conversations and I kind of want to record them for, for prosperity. Or prosper, prosperity. Posterity. Posterity. One of those words that I cannot pronounce. Mm-hmm. Kind of like hyperbole. Hyperbole. Yeah, I screwed that one up during the Red Lion podcast. <laughs> um, it's the hyperbole! <laughs> but, you know, and... That could be its own anime. <laughs> five years later, we're still we're still having fun. We're, we're still enjoying it. We're now podcasting regularly. There have been some changes. Like, for example, we used to do a news segment. Yeah, I hated that news segment. <laughs> Well, to be fair, like, considering our update schedule, we're usually a couple weeks behind at best. Like, and... like that was probably my least favorite thing about doing the podcast, and part of why I think I was unwilling to do the podcast for a little while was because of that news segment. Because I thought that news segment was... Mind you, you're listening to us right now. You know we are not the most professional thing ever. But I thought that news... I thought that news segment of that podcast was so unprofessional that it, it it wasn't worth doing. It just wasn't worth doing. I actually thought it was taking away from our entire segment because you were basically just reading the news off of another website. And so I felt like you weren't doing your the, the work for it that you should have been doing. But if you notice, that's a thing that has changed over the past five years. When we come down and we sit down to talk about a topic, Basil knows what he's talking about. It's quite often me, or sometimes Kevin, usually me, that has to go, Oh gosh, and what is that, what's that name of that thing? And and, and Basil's always the one who can answer for me really quick, because Basil does do his homework now. And I think that's made us a better podcast, and I can only assume that we're going to continue to learn from mistakes like that, or mistakes that we are going to make, and become better for it. See, I still really enjoy doing the news segment, like, even then, but I, I eventually, A, I, you know, learned to accept the criticisms and learn to shut up about that news segment. <laughs> and then, eventually, like, James decided that he no longer didn't have time to do a weekly podcast. And we need to switch to an every other week format. Which, so once that happened, especially, it was suddenly, well, like, news, originally being a week old was one thing, but suddenly two weeks old, that was getting to be really bad. And so, 
it became very pointless to have the new set. Very pointless, and so we, we dumped it, and eventually Moments of Awesome became a more important and more primary focus of the first half. Or the first major segment of the Awesome Cast. And so that is one of those things that has sort of, the Awesome Cast sort of has changed in its format from the beginning to, to now. So, there's that. One of the things, the primary things have changed, really changed, over the course of these five years, has been anime. Yeah, that's like, true. Uh, like, especially how we consume anime. Because five years ago, fan subs were still very much ruling the roost. Five years ago, I was making the argument for fan subs. I was the one sitting down at the table going, look, the fact of the matter is that fan subs were giving me are giving me the better product that I want. And now, I'm a 100% like subscription to streaming service fan. Like, you know, through Crunchyroll, through Funimation's thing. You know, even Funimation's thing. I can remember a podcast where I was sitting there going, oh gosh, and if Funimation would just do something, would just fix their thing. Apparently, they're working on it. Like, I I can get it on the Roku now. Oh, man. I remember when Crunchyroll were like the skeevy guys rebroadcasting fan subs out of the streaming. Well, that's what happened around five years ago. That's what it was. Yes. Like, now they're they're the dominant, most important... Force in anime of anime in America. There was some kind of deal with the devil made is the only explanation I can think of. They somehow got the real legal clear rights to all these shows. But you know, five years ago, you know, DVDs were you know still in single like three or, three or four episodes per disc. Yeah, like yeah. thirty bucks a disc. Nowadays, box sets are primarily the format that we get. Yeah. On. You usually get at least twelve episodes a pop. For our, like, 50 or 60 bucks, yeah. which is still way cheaper overall yeah. than the 30 bucks for, like, four to five episodes if you're lucky. So that's another thing that's changed. Uh, yeah. now, I think what I've noticed on DVDs um, is not actually, like, is usually uh, 12, episodes, 12 to 13 to even 15 episodes being spread out over two discs in cases of larger anime, maybe three discs. It is again. It's still echoing your your statement of you know we're getting fewer discs, but more episodes on the discs. The discs are the same price, so more bang for your buck. But like DVDs are still a little bit expensive, but because there's now so much more content on them, it's so much more right. worth it. And if you for those shows you really love and you yeah. want to own it, and you like know, I did that with yeah. Noin. Like I yeah. really love Noin, so I bought it even though I watched all of it I think I actually did watch it fan subbed before mm-hmm. like Crunchyroll was a real big thing or maybe right as Crunchyroll was becoming I don't know nothing no one is actually kind of old at this point it's like it is like yeah. five, yeah, it's six a few years, years old. old at least um I remember when that was new and that seems like that was a while ago yeah but you know that, that it's a lot has changed in how we consume now it's like now if it's not on Crunchyroll or Funimation I frankly don't really care uh, unless it's like something that's really good that I just have to get no matter what, like with Penguin Drum. Um, yeah, it seems like there's all, at least every other season or so there's somebody who's I guess holding out for bigger money or bigger distribution and that doesn't get show up on Crunchyroll or Funimation. And you know, well, then you gotta sometimes think: Are we going to use ways to get fan subs? But uh, no, Crunchyroll is great now. You know, even Funimation's. Yeah, getting better. Well, 
we say getting better as if they're doing bad right now, and they're really not. No, and really, to be fair, really, I think five years ago, Funimation was kind of the joke company. Well, gosh, even two years ago, or whenever it was that I was sitting on this podcast complaining about how I really wanted to watch all these Funimation shows, you know, get on the ball Funimation, this is the wave of the future. Well, now they've implemented exactly yeah. what... I was saying, and I couldn't be happier. Uh, the only way I could be happier is it seems like there may be some problem with their programming, or maybe their code could be better. But it's it's more they're still offering me the service I wanted. It's just a, a nitpicky thing at this point. Yeah, yeah, well, I say yeah, they're and they're actually in terms of actual video releases, uh, probably on average one of the better ones now. Well, well <laughs> Funimation is the yeah. one now, like. I was looking at a report the other day, a week or two ago, like, Funimation has, like, 50, like, 60% of the of the disc market. Yeah. I mean, like I they are, yeah, I they guess, are the yeah. behemoth. That's what else is out there, like Sentai and... Well, I think Nogami. I remember Funimation making a statement uh, when they did not get the rights to One Piece. Everyone at the time was actually hoping that Funimation would get the rights to One Piece, and they didn't get them. And their basic statement at that time was, look... We basically had a choice. We could either get One Piece and nothing else, or get all these other anime, but not One Piece. So we chose all these other anime. We made our choice. <laughs> and I, sadly, I think they had the right choice. Not because of One Piece. Bear in mind that One Piece is another one that you can talk about time with. There are people in Japan now, it's still airing as a primetime show. It's still just as big in Japan uh, maybe not as it was, but certainly it's still a big thing it's in still Japan. Still pulling an audience. Yeah. It's well, it's pulling in such a big audience that it's actually not worth talking about. Yeah. It's like imagine if a show continued to be popular for ten years, which is roughly, which is One Piece has actually been running longer than ten years now. But imagine if a show was popular for ten years and it stayed pretty consistently popular. After a while, you just run out of things to say about it. You just kind of accept it as like a part of the culture, which is what has mostly happened to One Piece. You have now have parents who grew up watching One Piece who now watch it with their kids. Uh, and that's something that happens in Japan. It just hasn't happened to us. And it's partially because uh, Funimation let somebody else get the rights to it. And they did a horrible... They butchered it. But now one, I think one Funimation does have the rights to it and they're doing it right, aren't they? Yes, although they don't have the awesome rap song the four kids had. Don't you dare repeat that. Mm. I, I love that song. I hate that song. I, I love that song very much. No. <laughs> it's possibly one of my favorite anime openings oh. of all time. Right next to the English language Macross opening. Yes. <laughs> oh, I shake my head at both of you. Uh, I shake my head at both of those myself, but I recognize that Basil truly loves these things, and I don't want to take that joy away from him. But, but yeah. So you know, anime now, nowadays there's even more streaming sites than before. Mm-hmm. You know, now there's uh, Daisuki, which is sort of Bandai's thing with a couple other partners. That is, it's there. It's, it's it remains very, to be seen how that one's going to go. Like the encoding's okay. The translations are sometimes. It's very obviously a Japanese website that really needs someone who speaks English 
to go in and tweak a few things? A lot of things. <laughs> like, it, it's very one of the things where, uh, I believe it was Toei, you know, they, they tried to release things on disc and did it really poorly. And then realized they were doing it really poorly and no one was buying it. They, they hopped up real quick. Mm-hmm. Like, but it was very, very, um, almost ingrishy. And Daisuke seems like it, that's that. And then on the other hand, you have um, Anime Souls, which is also recently uh, launched. And they definitely, the guy who's helped you sort of spearheading it does speak English. And you can tell that this is a, you know, it's a Japanese website. You know, it's meant for much more worldwide, especially English speaking populace. Especially North America. And its big thing is it's tried to crowd crowdfund while releasing episodes. Which has been working with mixed results, but... It's starting to work with mixed results. The trick is that it's a, it's a, it's a sort of a partnership with a bunch of different studios, like Tatsunoko and Perio and Period and some others... Like, I think uh, Blackjack and Creamy Mommy are well on their way to getting actual releases. Really? Well, what they're doing is that they're putting up like five or six different shows. And you could do various pledge tiers. And at 40 bucks was like the DVD tier for like 12 episodes. And do this in a batch of 12s. And if it met its goals, it would get like a DVD set of 12 episodes would release. And then they would start doing, then then a little later they would start crowdfunding the next set. And they would do it until it failed. The problem is, I feel, is that A, no one knew the site existed yet. Yeah, it's not been... It's been... And, the word's getting around, but it did not have great marketing. Well, and that... And they also tried to do it with, like, five episodes of five different series at once. Yeah. Where they tried to do Cree Mammy, Old Yotter Man, New Yotter Man, Black Jack, yeah, uh, Ninja that, Robots. Yeah, Toby Kage and... Um, oh, but I, I want New Yotter Man so bad. Well, it, I it think happened. they had Classic Tekka Man. That didn't, go, that didn't work either. Like, and out of all those, the only two that succeeded was the first set for Cream Mommy and Blackjack. Nothing else. Yeah. And it was just a case of, A, most people in America do not have the nostalgia for these shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you're... Like fans like me who maybe don't have nostalgia for them, but know of them and really want to see them, like the old, the oldies, the goodies, you know. Well, there there is a pretty big Blackjack fan base in America. Yeah. Blackjack, I'd say thanks to at least in part to the vertical manga releases. Mm-hmm. And yeah. There's been a few Blackjack OAVs and movies that have made it to the U.S. in some way, shape, or form. It's also Tezuka. Yeah, and people know Tezuka, and Tezuka is like you know it's. Like, there's a there's a hardcore Tezuka tension. Yeah. That may not like anything else except for Tezuka stuff. But they'll buy Tezuka stuff. And Much it, like how there's a hardcore contingent for a guy who's famous. Yeah. Uh Miyazaki? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's similar. And I mean You see, yeah. that's the kind of blanking on names you can expect from Doug. Well yeah. I can't remember Miyazaki. But yeah, let's do Tezuka. If nothing else, most anime fans should know that name, and he has a reputation for being awesome. Mostly deserved. Uh, in fact, almost entirely deserved. Um, but. But so, you know, but now they're doing uh, Dear Brother on Isama E, and all the pledge levels are cheaper. Yeah. The target they're trying to hit is lower. 
you know, they're not trying to put out a bunch of other series along with Onisama E, Dear Brother. Yeah, I and I'd say you put some money in it. It's a great shoujo series that's a, a horrible emotional train wreck in the best possible way. Um. But it looks like they're taking all the criticisms that people had to heart and they're fixing things where they can. And that's good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and, and now I think Aniplex has announced they have the license for both the disc version and the streaming version of Kill a Kill, which is the new anime yeah. by Studio Trigger. Yeah. Who is the creator of, um, who did, who was founded by Imashi, who did Gurren Lagann, and he was one of the first original directors for Re Cutie Honey. He recently did Inferno Cop and Little Witch Academia. Wow. Um, so. He generally is awesome. And Kill a Kill looks to be really fun. Sadly, it's Anaplex, and I believe they're the folks that are still doing super expensive yeah, boxes and everything. tries to charge you like you're Japanese. Um, <laughs> like, was it, I think it's like a $500 Gurren Lagann, like, Blu-ray box set. Yeah. Wow. And I think even discounted, it's about 250 for the first Fate Zero box set. Um, they tried to put out the Karno Kyokai movies, or about seven movies, but it was about $400. And that was actually about $200 off the Japanese version. And there is just enough crazy people that is keeping this model in place for Endoplex. They're, all operate, honest, they're but, operating under the whale method. They, it doesn't matter if they lose. Right. Well, it's the Japanese method. Yeah. They yeah. they decide we're going to sell X number of copies. Well, we want to make this much money. Let's divide this much money by X number of copies. And that's what it will be. Not, well, this is how much it's going to cost. Oh, people are buying it. Let's make more. Oh. Like, more like the American version and frankly i'm not going to spend that much money yeah on pretty much anything that's not like an appliance or you know a yeah. car or something i need i need I mean, to live and yeah. exist with i, I mm-hmm. well i've said this in other forums but yeah as much as i i'm a huge type moon fanboy i loved watching fate zero i'm not paying that much money for the blu-ray box sets i that's too much it, that's ridiculous and so, while I'm sure there'll be people who would buy these overexpensive sets, I'm not one of them. And, and that makes me really yeah. sad. And, and hopefully, when, however Kill a Kill comes out in streaming, I'm really hoping that this just means that Amplex has the licensing rights. And so they'll sell them to, like, Crunchyroll or Funimation or Ethan on Hulu or something. Who knows, maybe it'll go on Daisuke. I mean, who knows how they're going to do it, or maybe they'll set yes. their own website. But as long, I really am hoping that it goes on Crunchyroll, yeah. just because out of all the platforms for streaming, they're still the most stable. They're still overall the most reliable. Like only Netflix, I think, gives me a more reliable stream. And Netflix is getting more subbed anime recently. Just... Yeah, I've noticed that too. Uh, Netflix also, yeah, yeah, they've got more su- subtitled anime. I mean, they, like, they, they have choose. anime on there. Lots of dubbed anime, but they've... Well, every anime that they have on there, you can choose to have it either dubbed or subbed, but... Unless they've gone back and added the sub versions back in, it, there's several that don't have the subs. Okay, let me take that back. You, you, What you just said is correct. There are several that do not have the subtitles. However, most of the new ones that yeah, they've been adding... Yeah, recent additions have... ...have had a subtitle option, like which is really fantastic. Tokyo Godfathers, which it, is excellent. Full, yeah. The Full Malachimus Brotherhood... Uh, they've got Digimon in English and Japanese, and they're actually in there as separate shows, <laughs> which is kind of weird. 
But I guess there's enough difference between the two in editing that they couldn't just put one up with English and voice and Japanese voice track. Well, there's also a case of when you know Netflix was around, they're streaming stuff. It, what the infrastructure for doing dual audio really didn't exist yet. Yeah, but that was just something that you know people would want. That like that was not you know that's never yeah. been you know a thing. Oh yeah, and they've got Bogum Crisis 2040 on there, which I don't love, but it's a thing that exists. You can watch in Japanese. <sighs> But, you know, so, yeah, that's anime. And They're you, getting more. And I'd like if they went back and replaced some of the other stuff they have with the dual audio version. But that remains to be seen. Netflix has so many good things. It's nice to know that overall the anime industry, especially in America, sort of has, you know, calmed down, like, all the craziness. Because we've had a lot of companies, like, you know, fall off and die. Yeah, CBM these five years. and AD Vision both went down. Yeah, I remember um, about five years ago, on on this very podcast, you were bemoaning the state of yeah. anime in America. Was yeah. manga is actually good? Is manga entertainment still around? They're still around. They're very, very, very. I think they're more UK. Oh but... yeah, they're doing fine in the UK. America, they're not nearly yeah. as prolific. Um, but I think a, lot, that... a lot of those people when I first started watching anime and putting they, who were putting out videos just aren't around anymore. But, you know, we lost both Bandai Visual and Bandai Entertainment. Um, yeah, they said, screw this American market, we're going back to Japan. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And We lost our turn A license for it. But, hey, you know, uh, both Sentai and Funimation have picked up a ton of those old uh, Bandai licenses. Like, we're now going to be getting Cowboy Bebop on, on Blu-ray. Yeah, Funimation yeah. got the A-list shows and Sentai got the B-list shows. But that's okay. Some of those B-list shows are pretty excellent. Like, we're getting Overman King Gainer back yeah. in, in print so I can actually buy it. Yeah, I'm just hoping... That's that all that's important. My issues with Sentai make me hope they just take the original versions and just put them back out again and don't mess with the dubs or subs because they honestly are not that great about it. Um, but I'm glad to see the shows have licenses again and are going to be available in some shape or form. Yeah, the whole thing with the whole Sentai, like, Voltron Phoenix arising from the ashes of ADV, between that and Section 23, and... No, Lucky Penny's, like, no right stuff. But, like, you know, how ADV, like, broke apart and now... still exists, but now a bunch of individual little companies. Yeah. They now just work together as one big company. They just don't talk about it. Yeah. But then you got stuff like Right Stuff now exists and yes. it's producing anime, you know, anime releases. Yeah, well, they used to just distribute and now they're, you know, they give us our retainer boxes and our Rosa Side boxes just recently, which were are some of the best anime DVD boxes I've ever bought. Like, so, yeah, anime is, anime's doing okay. How's manga doing? Manga, well, manga is a thing. It's happening. Um, uh, I would say it's booming comparatively. Well, no, it's not booming. It is... Like, manga, like, five years ago, it was... Manga was was what was doing well, and it was yeah, anime right. that was suffering. Like, manga had a really weird boom and bust. Like, where it, when manga was booming, it was booming gigantically. And then it busted, it busted pretty hard, but then it seemed to be somewhat stable, but then continued to bust a little bit longer. Yeah. Like, anime kind of had its... It, it was a little more... Um, it's more protracted than anime's boom and bust was. Because you know, because you know, Tokyo Pop no longer well, it exists now. It doesn't really exist. Yeah. Um, and there's other things that have come up in its place. You know, now vertical is much more of a presence, at least that I know of. Yeah. Well, uh, okay, maybe quality has gone up. Um, is really what I. It's a case of 
you have to realize that manga used to be way more of a presence in bookstore stuff than it used to be. Like you know the you know Barnes and Noble's manga section used to be double what what it is now. Um, borders existed and thrived off of manga. Manga thrifted thrived off of borders. Like you know, much like how Suncoast really hurt the anime industry when it went away, Borders like gutted the manga industry when it went away. Like there is, you know, manga has hit some real lows. Now, I think one of the reasons that we don't notice it as much is because over this interim, I've become a much bigger manga fan than I was five years ago. Whereas I used to buy manga monthly. Like, I would go and I would buy it just like I used to buy comic books. Um, but I, I just don't anymore. You know, if I, hear, if I hear about a good one, I'll borrow the books from you, but I don't really buy it much anymore. Well, I think it's, a lot of it is, is because, unfortunately, it's, as far as I've learned, tr- trusting comic book stores to give me my manga... That that has proven for at least for us, it's proven to be an absolutely unreliable source. Yeah, like that's why I started going to the bookstores rather than the comic book store because, and it's not even actually the comic book store's fault. Uh, just about every comic book store has to go through Diamond as their distributor. Like that's just who Marvel and DC set up to be the comic book store distributor, and I think I think. I think comic book store owners, in order to get Diamond as your distributor, you have to, like, pledge something that you don't use another distributor, but I could be wrong on that. But I do know that the ones around here, they use Diamond as their distributor, and Diamond as their only distributor. And Diamond values the business of large bookstores like Barnes & Noble, Books A Million... Much more than they do the independent one-shop-only comic book store. So if they only have 15 copies of this particular manga, and Barnes & Noble wants 10 copies to carry in its warehouse, they're only gonna... And, you know... And seven different little stores want one, Diamond is going to give the ten copies to the larger store, and then just the other little stores can just deal with it. And so that's yeah. that's often what ha- that's often what happens to comic stores and why they're not able to get in your order for a manga is just because the distributor just didn't give it to them. Um, so they're just, so they're in just as much a frustrated situation as you, the consumer, are. But it's part of why I started going to a big, big. It's why I started going to Barnes and Noble to buy my manga was because I couldn't rely on the local comic store to get it anymore. I would still go there for other comic books, but. And nowadays, when I tend to order my books, I tend to order them all through Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I get Prime. Uh, it's worth the money. I get you know internet. Yeah, I get some of the stuff I can't get on Netflix. I automatically get via Amazon. Yeah. I. Yeah, I even share my. Prime account, you can share it with people in your household. So I share it with my parents, and it they they pay a bit of my Prime. So they like we split it three ways basically. So everything I get is two day free shipping. That really helps with manga because I get it close to release or soon after release date. And so yeah, but you know, I, before you know, a couple of years ago, I really wasn't really buying manga at all. 
and now I usually get a couple books every month. And for so for me, manga, I think definitely in our, you know, because I talk about manga a lot now. Maybe that's why I get the impression it's booming. Like, like, yeah, because they're, yeah, they're booming through my They're booming sales. for Basil. Um, <laughs> um, Basil's putting manga through college. Yeah. Like, um, and, although, certainly, um, there are some of the companies, like Vertical's a good example, who put out really high quality when they, what they do release, they put out really high yeah. quality stuff. Well, yeah, and, and through our times, we need to get to interview him one day. It's uh, Ed Chavez, who is one, one of the directors, at, you know, you know, editors at Vertical. Who is now you know a friend of the podcast? Yeah, why haven't we interviewed him yet? Um, because every time we have the chance to, we're usually all, all of us are busy or drunk. Like yeah, or drunk. Um, well, things like Eddie Way, he's always super busy, you know, running his merch booth. Yeah, that's true. Like at Hamacon, uh, we were busy running Hamacon, running a Hamacon. Oh, it was great at Otakon with Ed Chavez dressed up as Rambaral from Gundam, promoting the Gundam, <laughs> the origin manga. That was great. He makes a great Rambo Raw. Uh, he, he really, he, he fit the outfit well. Well, yeah, it's because he can grow all the best porn stashes. Yes. Yeah. Like, they, every yes. time you see Ed, he'll chance on his facial hair is now completely different. I've seen with beards, mustaches, mutton chops. I mean, he just, I guess, you know, he, he is of the persuasion genetically that his, his facial hair grows really fast. And so he'll just change it. Just because. And... God love him for it. <laughs> but no, manga, I mean, it's, I think it's another case of, it is now stabilized. Yeah. Um, you know, Kodansha is now back into the game, doing it themselves, or, but they're doing it very well. Uh, their Sailor Moon is selling really, really, really well. Sailor Moon is now in print, in a form that's of much higher quality than it's ever been released in the U.S. before. You know, they're also the ones that are releasing Attack on Titan, and that's doing very well. Both animated and manga formats. Yes, that is the new cash cow, possibly. Um, yeah, it's definitely the next Full Metal Alchemist equivalent. Like, it's yeah. definitely one of the, and it's one of those things I could see it because I think, especially, yeah. you know, American wise, you need a series that has all the neat weirdness you would get out of something from Japan, but not actually set. In Japan. In Japan. Well, I, I think it's like the number one comic in Shonen Jump's main competitor. Like, I think it's kind of just behind One Piece in popularity in Japan right now. Like, it's just doing really, really well. Like, Attack on Titan is big. It's big. It's a titan, you might yeah. say. Yes. You, you, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but speaking of titans, this podcast is going to be a titan. So we're going to take a short break and come back with even more stuff as we look over this past five years of awesome. Yo! Yayo, yayo! talked about anime and manga. Although one thing we did we forgot to talk about actually was uh, the current state of a uh, Neon Alley, which is the the linear thing service thing. What that, is the current state of that? Well, okay. So originally we we recorded a side B that we never I never released, uh, mostly because the right before I was about to release it, 
the ANN cast had an interview with guys from Viz to talk about Neon Alley. And one of the questions were asked, why is it a linear thing? Um, and they actually answered it, so I didn't. So I felt like, since they're a much bigger podcast than we are, they answered the question that we were positing in our little side B, so I was like, well, okay, they, it was answered, which was they were trying to go for something different, pretty much. Hmm. And that they're planning on, they were hoping that it would catch with the mainstream, which is what I said in the thing. Um, and that they're planning on a catch-up service, as it were, that people can probably, you know, on demand as a, as a new component of the service. Hmm. So, that's Neon Alley. And if you hear any munching go, munching along the ways, that's not us, that's Bruce. My dog. He is, he is hungry, and he must feed. So, our next couple of conversations uh, for then our five-year retrospective. TV and movies. There's not a whole lot different in movies, really. Why? This is before, five years ago, it was before the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's true. Yes. Well, it was, it was the start of the Marvel yeah. Cinematic Universe. Because yeah. our early stuff was like Iron Man. As one of our earliest awesome casts was actually Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah, um, but... You know, compare that to five years ago. Five years ago, where Iron Man was just starting as the first, like, movie that Marvel True. was putting out. That, you know, because before then, like, all of Marvel's things had been licensed through other people. Like, the Spider-Man was done through a different studio. Spider-Man, X-Men. X-Men was done through the, a different studio. The two Fantastic Four movies. Yeah. The, and so... A, a previous Incredible Hulk movie. Yeah, and so Iron Man launched Marvel's... Just making its own movie, movies, and it was fantastic. It was awesome, and it eventually led up to the Avengers. And we were just talking about on Pacific Rim podcast about how all the summer blockbusters, except for Pacific Rim, seemed like they really wished they were the Avengers. Yeah, well, it's true because the Avengers is one of the highest grossing movies of all time. It's well, the Avengers was a really good movie. Like it's the highest grossing for for a reason, and I think uh, we were just we were just talking about earlier that. It's. Oh, I think there's an argument to be made that Gone with the Wind is still the highest grossing, but I don't know how valid that assertion was, because that that assertion was, uh, if you adjust for inflation, that Gone with the Wind is still made more at the box office than any other movie. I think on sheer dollar value it's Titanic, but... Yeah, but, you know, it was also in the theaters for a lot longer. Yeah. Also, there's the sentiment, there's a, a, an economic sentiment that is, stop trying to measure things by adjusting for inflation, just look at the price. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, that's true, and then, you know, spurned by this, you know, Disney also, because Disney owns Marvel. Yeah. Um, shortly after Marvel did their own thing with the movies, Disney bought them and was like, you know, no, you guys are doing your good job, keep doing it, here's Disney money. Yeah. Um, now Disney on Star Wars. Yeah. God and help that, us all. And that could be a major difference. Who knows? It could be good or bad. Yeah. Like, who knows what's going to happen. But I will forever hold that Disney's version of John Carter of Mars was the best Star Wars movie that no one watched. Yeah, John Carter of Mars was actually really fantastic. I loved that movie. When I finally saw it, I think I rented it on Redbox. Because it was, like, it, it it was in theaters for so short. Yeah. Like, it was, 
I had the choice of seeing it or another movie, and I think I chose to see the comedy rather than the science fiction movie because I was feeling particularly down that day, thinking that certainly in a couple of days when I'm feeling better, I'll co go and see the science fiction movie. And that'll be awesome. But by the time I was feeling better, it was it was gone. It was not entirely what I would call a faithful adaptation of the novel material. But it was a fun movie. Well, it was good enough that it made me go back, go and yeah. read the novel when I it, hadn't before. It, and there's some stuff I'm surprised. I'm honestly surprised they left that he was a Civil War soldier in there. Um, but mm. uh, a Confederate one at that. But uh, you know, I'm surprised they didn't clean that up somehow or modernize it. Well, I don't know what's what's wrong with it. Maybe because I'm from the South that I yeah, don't know what's yeah. wrong with it. But. You know, part of the point was that he was a Confederate soldier. It's not that he agreed. No, oh, it's just part of his background, and it mostly it's just fun on Mars, and woohoo, I'm superhuman here. Ha ha, fuck you, formed guy. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and it's it's good. It's pulp science fiction action, and the movie gen genuinely succeeded in that kind of flavor. So, But, you know, I, I say not much changed, but, you know, that ha those have been big changes. I've... Really discover my love of Nicolas Cage movies over these course of five years. <laughs> I've discovered my amusement at Nicolas Cage. <laughs> you know, well, sometimes. Do you remember? Uh, do you remember the uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice movie with yeah. Nicolas Cage? I sincerely think that you could tack that after Nicolas, every single line Nicolas Cage said in that movie, you could tack on because I'm Nicolas Cage or some variant thereof, <laughs> and it would work. And it would still be as dramatic and awesome as it was with him not saying it. Well, <laughs> true. Nicolas Cage is an interesting actor um, who certainly, who is, he's always, almost always fun to watch. But sometimes you've got not the bees Nicolas Cage and sometimes you've got, uh, what's your favorite Nicolas Cage movie, Basil? Uh, all of them. <laughs> um, I don't know, the Drive Angry Nicolas Cage, I don't know. Like, oh yeah, well, you know, there's Drive Angry, which is, you know, him just being... You know, his, that's that's just really his morning commute. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah. Like, the trick is is that Nicolas Cage is as we first of all as a shamanic actor. Yeah. That he channels his roles. He does not just act them; he lives them. And, you know, or, or like a uh, what was the movie with uh, Ron Perlman? Um, oh, Season, Season of, of the, the Witch. Witch. Best yes. D&D movie ever. That yeah. movie was amazing. And so, Nicolas Cage, when it comes to Nicolas Cage, like, he's an actor that I have really mixed feelings about because, on the one hand, in all of, the, of those American, you know, are they American treasures or national treasures? National treasure. In all of those national treasures, I felt he was miscast. Like, I'm sure that he as an actor probably loved playing that role, but I really thought he was miscast. I really thought that role should have gone to somebody else. I thought it looked awkward to have Nicolas Cage playing that role but then in season of the witch he was he was utterly fantastic and and he was perfect and wonderful and i probably wouldn't have thought that he would have been perfect and wonderful but he was <laughs> and uh the weatherman was one of my favorite like i loved his performance in the weatherman uh and i really thought that that was a really powerful movie that made a statement um but at the same time in sorcerer's apprentice I thought it was laughable, so... Which, in Source for this really felt like it was, you know, a National Treasure 3, just... With magic. With, with magic. So, 
I guess I enjoy watching Nicolas Cage movies too, but I usually watch them with a different sort of candor than you do. Yes. It's a little bit more of, what's he gonna do now? Whereas I'm, what's he gonna do now? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, movies, they're, they're pretty good. I don't really watch more or less movies than I do in any in any given year. Just like movies come out, I see some of them. I watch a fair number of movies, yeah. yeah. Aside from I, I watch a fair number of movies. I go and see a lot of movies actually. And I've actually been seeing less and less. And I don't think that this is a because I'm maturing or anything. Um I'm seeing less and less mostly because mostly because I actually do think that movies are getting worse. Uh, I don't know if this is something that's happened in the past five years or if it's something that I've just become aware of, but it really does seem like more and more the movie industry is relying, isn't making new things. They're, everything is based off a book or, or a comic book or or something else or, or a, revamp or, a yeah. revamp or a reboot or a reimagining of something from the past. And I just really wish they would just make more new movies. And what new movies they seem to make seem to all be romantic comedies or just trashy comedies. You like, there's the the in, the intellectual comedy. I think the last one I saw was Hot Tub Time Machine. And let me just repeat that for you in <laughs> case you missed it. I think the last witty comedy movie I saw was Hot Tub Time Machine. And I'm gonna leave it at that. I think my last one was Hot Fuzz, but that's, uh... Well, but then again, you know, thinking about what we earlier started off with, but Basil, the Marvel stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the... I don't know if that's the exception to the rule or if that's part of what's spurning this well, this movement is, on is that the Marvel stuff has come out and it has been fantastic. And it certainly made an upshot in comic-based movies. Yeah. Uh, but everyone wanted to be the next Iron Man or what have you. Yeah, but... So, I do think that the Marvel movies have changed the movies that are coming out in theaters at the moment. But... At the same time, uh, at the same time, I, I think that maybe it's because a little bit because of the recession, people aren't wanting to take the studios aren't wanting to yeah. take as big risks. It's possible. I mean, this is something that has been building up over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like every year, I usually see at least one article people lamenting how, yeah. how well, everything's a remake yeah. or reimagining. But then again, on the opposite side, you know, when the Star Trek reimagining first hit, we were all really excited for it, and we all really enjoyed it. You know, so, while I do love original things, like, I love Pacific Rim. Yeah. I just love the, re- the reimagining of Speed Racer just as much. Yeah. And I do want to say, I don't disagree with what you're saying, but my dad is a big film noir fan, and he watches a lot of Turner Classic movies, and even, like, a lot of Turner Classic movies, and even AMC, American Movie Classics, there's a lot of really horrible old movies out there, too. <laughs> <laughs> like... We we were from like we tend to, I think to remember the cream of the crop or the exceptionally bad ones yeah. from the past, and we well, maybe don't remember all the kind of mediocre semi crappy ones that drifted through. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
But what's kind of weird for me is that, you know, theoretically, I have a Netflix subscription. Yeah. And Netflix was really designed around to watch movies with, you know, originally as discs you would get in the mail. Yeah. And then streaming. But then I realized what I really use Netflix streaming for aren't movies. TV shows. TV shows. TV shows. Yeah. But Netflix is a great way to catch up on TV shows. Yes, it is. Um, actually, there's... Uh, one of the things I've noticed about how TV has kind of been changing, um, I think when we first started this podcast, like House was really big, the the pseudo detective drama, mm-hmm. like where they're not actually detectives, or maybe in the case of Law and Order, because there were a gajillion Law and Orders, you could always turn on five years ago, you could turn on the TV and there would always be a Law and Order airing, and, and I think that's still true. Well, now there's also an NCIS for whatever yeah. flavor. Law and know. Order Hamster Rescue Unit. Yes. You know, like, it's out there somewhere. Or if like, it's not, if that's what you want to watch, there is a channel that is airing it. Um, that is airing some flavor of that. But that, that was the big thing. And... I don't know that that's really changed so much. Although there's more and more stuff you can get streaming, either directly from the but, the, the station website, or the network website, or through something like Netflix or Hulu. Well, almost one of the problems that I think and I call it a problem very tentatively, but one of the uh, one of the dilemmas that shows like that created is is uh, it created a lot of emphasis on the characters. Which was a good thing. But at the same time, since American TV tends to go on for season after season after season, and we draw a character story story arc out over years of broadcasting rather than in a single season, uh, it makes it very hard if if something is airing on... Nowadays, if something is airing on TV, it makes it very hard to just pick up and start watching an episode... There, there is this huge motivation to go back and watch every single, to watch every single one. Um, I'm trying to remember what anime, not anime, what uh, American television show it was that I just recently, I watched the full season on Netflix, the full like first three seasons on Netflix because mm-hmm. when it starts airing the fourth season again, I want to be caught up. Um, you know, like with Mad Men, with Mad Men for going on, which. Was Mad Men going on five years ago? Yes. Well, like, Mad Men, that's actually a point I was about to get into, was that I think the big change in the state of TV has been the proliferation of really good AMC and HBO shows. Yeah, like... Things like uh, Mad Men, yeah. uh, Breaking Bad on AMC is like, you know, the, what's the big thing now for most people? It's Game of Thrones. Yes, that's true. And, and you know, there's a lot more, there's a lot more kind of nerdy stuff airing on and, TV uh, now. And even, like, Netflix is jumping on their original programming. Like, like House of Cards was excellent. And oh, House of out, Cards was so good. They've but, got, like, three other series they've put but out since the then. the way most people watch stuff now, as compared to five years ago... Uh, five years ago, most people were TiVoing things and then watching it. Yeah. Now, uh, like my husband's sister still TiVos stuff and watches it. And if you want to watch your series like right then, as soon as it comes out, the people who want to watch it right then, as soon as it comes out, still TiVo it and watch it when they can get to it. Whereas people who are content to wait until the season releases, like Barry and I are... We'll wait until it comes out on Netflix and we watch the whole season. 
like alternatively what I do a lot is I'll buy them on Amazon Amazon instant video mm-hmm. where I'll pay the two three bucks an episode and for me it's the equivalent of buying the DVD box set in advance I get them the day after I can stream whatever device I want to as much as I want to and it's not dissimilar to the price of buying it on a Blu-ray box set. Yeah. Still getting HD. Still get to watch it whenever yeah. I want to. Everything I have is pretty much internet connected, so it doesn't matter what device I'm watching it on. Yeah, I, I bought all of Legend of Korra through Amazon because I thought that would never get a Blu-ray release. I was wrong, but... but I, honestly, <laughs> you don't need it. Yeah. Because, you know, the animation is probably not going to be that much different between 720 and 1080. Most animations done in 720p, anyways. Uh, well, yeah, the Cora Blu-ray is actually pretty incredible. It's Nickelodeon's first Blu-ray release, but it's actually pretty incredible. Uh, it looks great. <laughs> yeah, but watch on Amazon looks great. Yeah. Like, I mean, HD is HD. Well, that is one thing I do miss back from buying DVDs of TV shows. Like, you know, I was really into Metalocalypse, and I bought all the DVDs, which. You know, they have a few seasons of Metalocalypse up on... I think they just have the first one. Like, like I, think added ca- one. I think Cartoon Network doesn't really get it, because I've noticed that Cartoon Network fairly recently put yeah. up a whole bunch of series, but, but they only put season. the first season. And so if you're trying to catch up, like, for example, the Venture Brothers. Mm. Venture Brothers now has this drastically convoluted plot going on with all these reoccurring characters, and if you missed a season or you missed an episode... They're probably going to make an, a reference to that thing that you yeah. miss, and you're not going to know it. Like I know Adventure Times about it. Five se- is in their fifth season, or maybe even starting their sixth now. I'm a little confused, but they've got season one on Netflix. Yeah, and one. if you're trying to watch it on Netflix for the purposes of catching up to know what's going on in the current season. It's like Cartoon Network doesn't get that. That's what people are using it for. Now I do think they have the complete Dexter's Laboratory. Um, but that's old. That's old. That's very old at this and that's point. And getting no new episodes, most likely. Uh, but, uh, but my point is more just, I think Cartoon Network doesn't get it, but at the same time, when I was buying DVDs of TV shows, like I bought Scrubs and I mm. bought, like I bought Scrubs and I bought uh, Metalocalypse uh, you know, there, there would always be DVD extras. Yeah, that is, I think, the main and reason to I, buy the DVD now. I love DVD extras. I love them so much. And you don't get those on Netflix. Right. You don't even get those on Redbox. And that was another reason why I actually then bought the Cora Blu-rays. Because commentary on every episode and lots of little making of and other little goodies. Yeah. You know. And I, I like the commentary. I like uh, seeing how they made things. I like that stuff. If it's something I really like. Like, there's plenty of movies I could just watch on Netflix and be done with it. And I'm like, oh, that was nice. But for some stuff I really love, I want the DVD or Blu-ray, and I want the making of, I want the director's commentary. When I watched Cabin in the Woods, um, I actually got that, I actually watched that from Redbox because it was just a few days before it came out on Mm -hmm. Netflix. But when I got Cabin in the Woods, uh, I I actually regretted the fact that well, I didn't so much regret the fact is I lamented the fact that I couldn't access any of the of the DVD extras on the Redbox edition because apparently that's some sort of deal that the studios have worked out is yeah. that 
the extra is that the extras are not on the rent for rent or streaming. Oh yeah, editions. that's got good extras. The commentary is good. Yeah. And the making of stuff is very because interesting. Because after I was done watching that movie, I super wanted to see the extras, but I couldn't because that's not the edition I had. If I wanted to see those, I guess I've got to buy actually buy the DVD or borrow it from somebody. Yeah. I guess I'm with a weird one that I don't usually do the extra stuff that often. Well, a lot of people don't. Yeah, I, I have heard uh, people who actually produce this stuff make the comment that nobody really. Oh, liked. I like. I think it's. Uh, I think Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is like about like five commentary tracks, and one of them's like literally the B-list actors. It's like Scott's roommate, the the, the bitchy <laughs> female friend, Scott's sister. Um, and, and it's like, these are like all the B-list characters, and they're even in there going like, okay, the day after premiere, we're all really hungover, and no one's ever going to listen to this commentary, let's do this, you know. <laughs> but it was actually a pretty good commentary. Well, uh, <laughs> well, I think it's partially that, I think the studio producers are wrong, that people do actually really super like the commentary, but the thing is that nobody thinks that it's worth shelling out an extra 30 bucks. About the, yeah, um... The exception, I think, maybe being Peter Jackson with the extended Lord of the Rings, which have more special features than you can imagine. And <laughs> yeah, probably. I've seen them all several times because my mom loves those movies, and she will watch the movie, then watch the special features. Not all in the same day. Over a few days, she will watch all of this. Uh, I actually did sit down. I did go to a party where the entire point of the party was that we were going to marathon the entire extended edition of all three Lord of the Rings movies, and I can't even imagine... That was so lengthy that I can't even imagine tacking on the special features in addition to that. That was so much. Whereas I can't imagine watching the Lord of the Rings movies. Oh, Basil. <laughs> I really like the first one. The other two sucked, but I really like the first one. I respectfully disagree, but... uh I don't love them nearly as much as my mom does, though. Those are like her movies. She loves those. There are some people who will argue that they are better than the books. I am not one of those people. I am simply recognizing that they exist. I'm also not the biggest fan of the books. Yeah. Ah. My mom falls into a category of she act, she loves the novels, she loves the movies, and some of which for different reasons. But she enjoys both a good deal. Well, I do think that Tolkien was a genius. Yes. I think that is not up for debate. I actually arguably like the movies better than the books. I honestly find the books kind of dry and boring in a lot of places. And that's... I don't know. That's just me. Um, like, it's interesting, but sometimes it's very dry and it's hard to slog through. And there's a hell of a lot of hobbits walking, especially in the beginning. Um, <laughs> you know, and there's things I'll go, hey, at the movie for not including or doing different, but I... I generally find the movies easier to sit through but yeah i think with tv shows i think really that this big big thing for like having like these shorter more compact more impactful like 12 season things like mad men and game yeah. of thrones that are more that have more, more more of an overarching narrative okay you know what tv has started doing lately that is really irritating me is this thing that they do where it's still one season, but they're going to air, like, four episodes now. Do and a then big break. They're going to do, like, this big break for, like, three months. And then they're going to air another four episodes. 
I can't stand that. That's actually the reason why I stopped watching several shows that I was otherwise enjoying, is because they were just so inconsistent with how they were putting out the episodes that, you know, my TiVo would get confused and not record them, and so I'd miss an episode, and then I'd be lost, and then I'd have yeah. to wait for it to come out. And The, the mid-season breaks are a thing now. Well, like, the worst thing was, like, Gravity Falls, where we'd get an episode, and maybe, like, like several weeks, maybe two weeks, maybe, like, five weeks before another episode airs. Yeah, no way of knowing. You know, and it's one of those things where I guess I'm really fortunate that I'm doing all this via Amazon because I don't have the TiVo problem. Yeah. It just eventually goes, hey, you bought an episode. Because I'll leave the season pass. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, let me watch the new episode. But, you know. Yeah, the season pass on the TiVo, the way it's supposed to work is you say, hey, TiVo, I want to watch all the new episodes of this show. And the TiVo will just go, okay, I'll just record that for you. But. By having the mid-season break like that, somehow it messes with TiVo's programming so it doesn't realize that's the same show. Probably whatever it looks at to get that information from the network doesn't always indicate it's a new episode. Yeah. Most likely. Like, I think that is part of the problem. And I don't know that it's actually on TiVo's end. I think it's actually on the program. I think it's actually on the network's end. And I really wish they would stop doing that. I wish they would either call those. I wish they would call those four seasons an epi- a, a, a season, or they would just not do the mid-season break. Just don't do it. It makes people stop watching shows. Only Britain can do four episode seasons. <laughs> yeah, Britain's special. Like, that's, that's, that is another thing that has happened over five years. You know, BBC, like British B- programming has really boomed. Um, it's come back. It's come back. I mean, I remember when they used to have Britcoms on PBS all the time. And, um, <laughs> and that's where I used to go to watch Doctor Who, way back in the uh, the Showa era of Doctor Who. Uh, I love how you refer to that as the Showa era. <laughs> it's kind of the common uh, Rider pair comparison, because it really, both shows do kind of have this big break. Where yeah. you really do go from sh- the Showa era to the Heisei era in Japan. And so you can... I think I picked it off. I picked I'm having it up, to uh, pet Kevin for his <laughs> classical Japanese references. I actually picked it up kind of off the internet because someone else started calling it the, the Showa era doctors because, you know, it was like the classic set before they went to New Who. And, like, I used to watch that all the time till it went off the air. But, but yeah, I did Doctor Who, Sherlock, a Downton Abbey. Downton yeah. Abbey's it's been big. Very, it's been turned out very um, big. I mean, Sherlock and Doctor Who are big with the nerd crowd. Downton Abbey's big with everybody, like people who watch TV. Doctor Who's big with everybody. Doctor Who is big with everybody. Anybody who has even the slightest nerdly inkling likes Doctor Who. Um, and I think I've said this on the show before. Doctor Who just has something in it for everybody. Whatever it is, whatever idea it is that is your thing that you like... Doctor Who's got it in there somewhere for you. And it's just a it, when used correctly, it's just a great science fiction sandbox. I mean, yeah. you can science fiction fantasy because you can just tell whatever kind of story you want, and all you have to do is have the Doctor pop in, you know, yep. and you're you're good. Uh, and he's fought vampires. He's fought giant robots. He's you know he's fought vampires. He does seem to have a, He does <laughs> seem to have a strange attraction to Victorian England, though. Well. You know, if I was a time traveler, I think I'd have a strange attraction to Victorian England. That's just because you'd like the bustles. Yes, I would. But that's... <laughs> but we're hustling, bustling, on through. We're going to take one more break, then we're going to 
finish up with a couple more topics and we'll be back with more Awesome 100. Welcome back to the Awesome 100. 100 episodes in five years of the Awesome Cast. 100! Yeah! In five years. Yay! So we started off with anime and manga, or our, yeah. sort of our stalwarts. Our bread and butter. And then we went into TV and movies. They're sort of very simpatico topics. Mm. Yeah. And our last two topics are the more interactive things, which are conventions and video games. Let's start with video games and move into conventions. Alright. So video games were a thing. What's a paladin? <laughs> Silly Kevin, we're not talking about Blue Exorcist. <laughs> okay, so as far as video games, um, okay, so five years ago we already mentioned that five years rock ago band. we were playing Rock Band mm. really hardcore. Uh, there's been a move. There's clearly been a movement from the elaborate controller to now the more motion-based controller, much like the Wii and the Wii U, but even more so repeated in the. That awful camera that I don't allow in my house. Well, it's one of those things where... The like, devil's you know, eyeball. Five years ago, Microsoft successfully put in their bid to be the next generation console. Yeah. Like, Nintendo won, technically, with the Wii versus the 360 and PS3, but mostly because it didn't play by the, any... It didn't play with them. It played right outside them and did its own thing. It seems to me Nintendo's strength is giving you something awesome that, and not the way you expect. That sadly has not done well for itself with the Wii U at all. But it did really do really, really well for the Wii. Whereas the 360 and the PS3 sort of you know, took their more, the more traditional console battleground. And at least as far as America goes, won. Uh, Europe and Japan is different stories. But in America... Microsoft won. Yeah, um... At least this round. I have multiple family members who are not into video games at all whatsoever, but they have Wiis. And they uh, they have Wiis, and, like, one of them even has the Wii U, mostly just because she bought it a little bit later on in the game. Uh, but she wanted a Wii because she went to one of her friend's house houses and they had one. And these are, these are you know, middle-aged women. Uh, which I think is part was part of Nintendo's success and folly, if you even want to call it that. Uh, in that, I think that you know, it what they didn't really uh, they made a they made a gaming system that appealed to a much broader audience, but it didn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily geared towards what you know hardcore video gamers wanted. Yeah, there was a big appeal to the casual gamer. And so, for a lot of people, this was good, and for a lot of people, this was bad. But it simply was what it was. Yeah, it, it has. It was very hard to convince Nintendo to put out some of the more serious gamer titles, um, like, like 
Xenoblade Chronicles is a good example. Um, well, that's also a case of Nintendo did not remotely try to keep up with graphics yeah. at all. Like, it was still an SD system because at the time, high-definition TVs were not the norm. But over the course of these five years, they are, they are now defaulted the norm. They are literally the norm because you cannot get not yeah. HD TVs anymore. Five not years, easily. Five years ago, I had a top-of-the-line HD TV. And, you know... To, you know, last podcast when I looked at you and said, Basil, there's nothing awesome going on in my life right now. One of the reasons, one of the things that had gone awry in addition to my PlayStation 3 breaking fairly recently uh, was also, a few weeks before, my TV broke. And I had to go out and buy a new one. And even though I had a 1080p television beforehand, now that I had this new 1080p television that's same size as the old one, it still looks so much better that it actually made me wonder if I really had HD before. Just because, just, the quality is just so much... It's just so, so much greater on it that I can barely even express it. Just, I felt like I must have been duped, you know, when I bought my TV eight years ago. But then again, I recalled that it was top of the line eight years ago, and technology has just progressed so far right. in that time span. Uh, and it's been to the detriment of a lot of gaming companies just to keep up with the graphics demand. Yep, Nintendo even discovered it this year with uh, their games, with the Wii U. They suddenly were like, wait, making HD resolution graphics is way more art-intensive than anything they've done before. Yeah. Just, you you know, we'll realize that, you know, you're looking at a 480p versus a 1080p. You're like, du- you're doubling plus the resolution of those images. Yeah. And those, all those pixels have to be filled and everything is now so much higher clarity than you've been used to before. Yeah. HD pixels are serious business. They're, they're not well, easy. Even in 780, even, even in 780p, there were a lot 20. of techniques. Oh, sorry. 720. 720. Even in 720p, there were still a lot of techniques uh, and things that they did where they were sort of kind of counting on a little bit of the the motion blurring to make you not notice some of the imperfections and impurities. Oh yeah, a lot of PS3 games still only go up to 720. Well, so yeah. the Xbox games. I mean, in reality, a lot of them aren't even that. They're actually like weird, like six twelve or five like forty eight. They just they're, stretch out to they uh, the resolutions that the game's actually running are not always I the have resolutions outputted. I have noticed that Tokyo Jungle, whenever I turn on Tokyo Jungle, my T V informs me that it's switching back down to seven twenty. Yeah, because a lot because most games um it's easier to make yeah. the, the stuff in 720p than it is 1080p, yeah. and most, a lot of them will not do it. Most HD games are going to be 720p resolution and are optimized for like 60 frames a second, you know. Yeah. So, like, having a high hertz TV isn't actually going to help you if, if well, for games. It, it will, just not with your games. Yeah. And it's also a case of, you know, it's like, unless it's theatrical anime, mm-hmm. almost all anime is in 720p. Yeah. Like... Even stuff like Crunchyroll on, on websites, they have a 1080p option just to shut up nerds. Yeah. Like, they're still getting a 720p signal. They're just, it's in quotes, 1080p, unquote. Like, so, 720p, up until possibly this next generation, 
is still, by and large, the de facto standard. Yeah. Now, this new generation looks like 1080p is now becoming, could become the standard. Uh, but the new systems are more powerful because they're, you know... They're, they're having to meet that standard. Well, no, they're they're brand new. They're, yeah, and they're using know, the latest hardware, and it's big, it's smaller and more powerful and shiny. And, and we've had, like, the longest video game console generation, like, almost ever. Yeah, like, this... The duration of the of this current generation of consoles, it's. I remember back when I was working at a video game store, and you know the turnover of consoles, and we were sitting there going, "Well, you know, the PlayStation Two had a pretty long run. The PlayStation Three has had a longer run than the PlayStation Two, it seems." Well, it, it did because you know the Xbox is like seven years old. Yeah, the, the Wii and PS Threes are six years old, and usually it was a five year cycle. Yeah, and and Sony's still putting out PS3 games, and they're, but they're getting ready for the launch of the PS4 and the Xbox One, and the Wii U came out last year, in the last year, and we're we're about to see this brand new thing. And what is neat about console generations that every time there's a new generation, everything starts back at zero. You know, with the GameCube, Nintendo was on bottom. With the Wii, they became out on top, and Wii U and now they're looks like they're going to be back on bottom again. At least as home consoles go. Portables are a completely different story. Yeah. Um, whereas now the big fight is going to be between PS4 and Xbox One. And it's going to be interesting because the PS, the Xbox One, Microsoft announced a whole bunch of crazy things that no one wanted. PS4 yeah. then announced a bunch of, said, we're not doing any of those crazy things that you don't want. And now Microsoft, one by one, is going... Saying, okay, all those crazy things, never mind. That crazy thing, never mind. You want to play, you know, any game you plug into the system? Okay. Uh, you want to not have to plug your connected anymore? Okay. Uh, they finally got rid of that? Well, you still have to buy one. Oh. You just aren't required to plug it in. Darn. Uh, and this is, I think, is because... I think all this is honestly because... At, I, get, I think it was E3 that... Yeah, I, I, I don't I, necessarily I, like... I think I need to use this term for dramatic effect, even though it's not one I normally like to use. But Sony essentially slut shamed them in front of the world. <laughs> like, but and I don't know why you're getting excited over the Xbox, you know, not having that option. Because frankly, I, I, unless you want first-person shooters, I don't see why you're interested at the moment. Yeah, I honestly think the PS4 is by far. The better platform. This past generation, most of the games I wanted, unless they were released on all three systems, or on both the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox, at least, or the 360, at least, if it was a game that only came out on one system, most of the time it was on the Xbox. My Xbox 360 got way more play this generation, as evidenced by the fact that I yeah. went through five of them, like we were talking about earlier. I started that way, but I've seriously drifted to well, hardcore PS3. Like, there hasn't been an original Xbox game I've cared about in a really, well over a year. It's only, Yeah, but that's the thing. In over a year, it's only been fairly recently that I've, within this generation, that I've started to care about the PlayStation 3. So... And just like you said earlier, Basil, when you start a new generation, everything goes back to zero. I don't know which system is going to be the system that I'm going to really right. adore next system yet. All I know is that it is going to heavily depend on what games are out there. And it's also, and I also don't want 
so I don't want a corporation having a camera into my house. Like, you know, I really wish Microsoft would just realize that this feature that they want, that they keep wanting to try to give me, I, I don't want. Like, I don't, I don't want it on my laptops. I always turn the, I always like, I always turn off the webcams on my laptops and actually put tape over them. I, even my iPhone with its camera, I always set it in places where it can't see anything or I set it down in, in different ways just because I just don't want cameras in my house. Well, I guess my thing is, is that when we started the, this previous, this current generation before the new one starts, mm-hmm. Microsoft went out of their way to obtain awesome Japanese games. Mm-hmm. You know, they got Mistwalker to make Lost Odyssey and Blue Dragon. Yeah. They like, got the exclusive rights to, Vesp- you know, to Tales of Vesperia. Okay, and admittedly, I blew through two of the X- of the five Xboxes just on Vesperia alone. Yeah, like, early Xbox had some good games like that. Um, Whereas this time, you know, it looks like Microsoft's not doing that. They're not even launching it until next year in Japan. Hmm. Oh, like, Japan... Japan really doesn't like Xbox. They warmed up to the 360 a little, but... Because of Vesperia. Well, it depends. Like, some aspects of the Japanese really... Like, the hardcore shoot 'em up fans... Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Like really the, went to the Xbox like, 360. And the people who are, like, the reverse of me, the American import gamers in Japan, they like the 360. Uh, but... So, <laughs> like, you, like, by and large, you're right. The Xbox flopped terribly, although it did better than the Xbox... Yeah, um, it warmed up to the 360 a little, but it but it didn't do nearly the numbers that the Wii and the and the PS3 did. But it right now it looks like Microsoft really isn't trying and looking at the games. And so if I want my awesome Japanese games, they're going to be on the PlayStation Four, on the PlayStation Four or the Wii U, hmm. um, or as it's becoming more and more obvious, the 3DS. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the 3DS is really becoming like a, a super dominant gaming platform. Especially if you like Japanese games. Now, with when the PS4 comes out, that might change things. But, you know, right now it's looking more like, and I'm looking at the games that are coming out on Xbox and the games that are coming out on PS4. Let's and... also not forget the emergence of the video game market onto the iPhone and through the iPhone onto just about every smartphone. Yeah, and yeah, and tablets. I, I have yeah. seen so many parents who wanted to buy tablets for their kids for games. Yeah, I don't like that, so I try not to think about it. <laughs> um, but, but also, conversely, like, I'm looking at this, like, as the informed consumer, I'm thinking the PS4 looks great, but I still hear a lot of customers, like, at my Walmart who seem really excited about the Xbox One. Right, because the majority of players nowadays, yeah. they really like playing Call of Duty. I mean, I and try to... Call of Duty, even though it's on the PS3, most people play it. On the Xbox, because that is what everyone is now used to. Like, Microsoft did win in America. Like, they did it. And so now they're going in, thinking that they'll just walk in. And for America, they just might just win the United States. But you know what? After Pacific Rim, maybe we don't know everything what's good on the box office. Yeah. Maybe maybe they realize the worldwide knows Pacific Rim's awesome. And that not everyone in America knows that's awesome. So they can shut up. Which is funny because the Xbox is getting Titanfall. Which is an awesome first person shooter where you to play, fight, play with giant robots. That's okay. 
we're bound to get an Attack on Titan game that's good. They're making like four or five of them <laughs> for different platforms. But yeah, I mean, like iOS and Android do have games on them. Yeah, uh, they do have games on them. Uh, they like a lot of like SquareSoft is SquareSoft is releasing a lot of their old school games on there, and they're not the only company that's doing that. They're just the one that I know and can think of. Um, in addition to that, there's also like. All just like the little little games. Um, Angry Birds is of course the one that everybody knows. Uh, there's Triple Town. Candy Crush is the ridiculously popular one. Yeah, now. Candy Crush is the dominant. Candy Crush thing can go to world. hell. But yeah, that's. Um, right. But you know, if you think about those games, while they may kind of annoy you, well, they may kind of annoy you, Basil. Uh, you know, think about the games that we played back when we were playing Nintendo games, like things like Yoshi's Cookie and Tetris. You know, a lot of these really simple games were, in fact, the foundation of gaming. They were, in fact, where a lot of people start. And so I actually think that maybe this big rush for graphics, this big rush for greater and greater stories, almost sometimes seems, while it's something I really enjoy, it's something that almost seems to miss the point of simply a game. And it's something that these iOS games or these uh, app games are getting. Well, my counterpoint to that is that, no, what they're doing is they're taking pre-existing fun game concepts, mm-hmm. and they're turning them out into money-making machines. Well, I really like Robot Unicorn like, Attack. Well, yeah, yeah, Robot Unicorn Attack is awesome, but that's, but, like, that's more of a real game. <laughs> okay, let's, let's go back to the biggest game right now is Candy Crush Saga. Okay. It's I... a match three bejewel type game. Okay. Oh, okay, now, I, I've never played it, I don't know. Well, that's good, you don't want to. No. Because what they do is... For the first several hours you play the game, when they get hooked, it's a it's a true match three skill based game. Mm-hmm. Then, before you know it, it becomes a pay to win game. Now that's something that is uh, happening that I don't like. I don't mind the freemium games, but the pl- pay to win games, like right, but that is becoming yeah. dominant. Like I played a little bit of DC Universe Online on and off. And I bought a couple of the expansions because I thought it sounded neat what was included. But the game is essentially free. Like, for example, with Robot Unicorn Attack 2, which is the new you know, version of that game. I love that game. You can, you can just play the game and be fine and you can unlock things and you don't have to spend any money. But if you want to buy, like, the, the, the songs yeah. so that you can, you can customize your experience, you can do that. You can buy more power-up points for power-ups. You don't really need to, but it's there if you want it. But it's it, they're optional things, and that's cool. But the dominant stuff is stuff like Tiny Tower and, you know, even unfortunately, like, we were playing, you know, Final Fantasy Airborne Brigade for a while. Yeah. And that was also really a pay-to-win game, where in order to, like, be one of the top people to actually really start, you know, ranking... You see, I didn't have to pay all that much. I did pay, like, a dollar... Like, every couple of days? Over several months, that adds up. Yeah, I guess it does. But like, I, I, felt like it wa- I felt like it wasn't a lot. I was enjoying it. But yeah, but that's, that's, that's the insidious part. Because you're right. You know, you play, like, every day, couple of days, you, you, you can throw them a dollar or two. Like, I thought the thing that made me actually pretty badass in that game was actually just, like, that I set a timer, and so it was just the frequency with which I just consistently did everything. Yeah. Like, but... And 
but by a huge t- time sink. <laughs> but but by the time you're done, you've probably spent more money than if you had bought it as a thirty dollar game. Mm. Yeah. On the DS or 3DS. Hmm. As much as there are some simple games of the past that I think are excellent games, great games, I have I have I was honestly, really thinking more like Robot Unicorn Attack yeah. too when well, I set, made that comment of honestly, that's just a fun game. I don't know if I'd call it. I might go so far as say it's. I mean, it's a platformer, so in a sense, it's not original, but that's a fun game. Like everything about yeah, that game is Triple engaging. Triple Town is a fun game. And, you know, and the way Triple Town works is, you know, you download it, and at first you have uh, 300 moves that you can make. And then after that point, you have to wait three minutes in order... Is it three minutes, or...? I don't know, because it was like $3 to play Unlimited. Yeah, so. like, and then it's not expensive if you just want to just buy it to play the Unlimited. And it, they've now included ex- other features where if you want to buy, like animals and things to hop around your town you can but you don't have to you could just play the game you could just play the game without any of that stuff right and sadly they unfortunately the inverse though is that what everyone but quote what everyone's playing now isn't triple town it's candy crush and mm. that actively uses like casino uh you know methodology yeah, like flashing lights reinforcing music and you know mm. you know to to get you to keep but buying and spending more uh, the point i was wanting to try to make um is as much as i like love some of those games as time goes on and it ended, not only honestly wasn't even all that long i realized i'm mostly into video games as a storytelling medium and as an artistic experience mm-hmm. and that's my main dislike of these casuals um, like, I want to play a game that's going to get me involved in the story. I want to play a game that's going to show me beautiful things, or even horrible things that are beautiful. I remind you, one of my moments of awesome was Journey. Yes. Which is, that involves you in the story. It is all about the beautiful storytelling. Or even uh, most, even very recently for me, I played through The Last of Us, and that, that that's a post-apocalyptic game with no bounds or grays. I mean, it's bright, vivid colors. It's full of abandoned building porn. Uh, <laughs> like, seriously, I, I know somebody who loves that sort of thing. It's full of abandoned building porn. I I, I know somebody, too, and I, I actually love that sort of thing, too. Like, abandoned buildings are gorgeous, especially when they've been taken over by nature. Yeah, I, and there's a lot of that. And, like, as soon as you, like, get out of what's closest thing to a civilized place in the game, which isn't that long... Like, the abandoned expanse is gorgeous in that game. And it's got a good, compelling story written into it. And it's a good, beautiful setting. Uh, but I guess my point is, like, like there are good cell phone games. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that they're not. But right now... But you still have to recognize the yeah. emergence of the cell phone as a gaming platform equal to... Well, I wouldn't say equal to the, the, the 3DS, but... On par with yeah. uh, probably what the Game Boy SP was. Well, no, I mean, as far as money making money being money being made goes, it far exceeds. Yeah, I mean, certainly like the 3DS, cell phone, Vita, or PSP, like, like smartphones. Well, have... the, the problem is, is that right now it can be a force for good or evil. Yeah. And more often than not nowadays, it feels like it's getting more and more used for evil. Rather than yeah. good, certainly oh. the omnipresence of smartphones and even the rise of tablets ownership—it's so easy to, get, yeah, it's easy to put games on that. People throw games up on there that are, you know, you can make a variation of the Match Three or you know any things like that. I see game. I've seen a few things that are obviously like 
games made from RPG Maker, you know, and they're, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I've played some good games made by RPG Maker. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I've actually downloaded a few cell phone games that were only, like, $2.99 for this RPG that's, it's short, but it's a fun little RPG. I've seen some that are just obviously just thrown together real quick and are like, okay, this is a thing. Eh, This is disappointing now. Um, (laughs) But, you know. I've also played some games, like I said, I've played some that are obviously just made in, well, heck, I think the last couple of Penny Arcade games were honestly, were made in RPG Maker. They had, like, a custom engine to actually finish it, but they, I, I think they were literally making the environments in RPG Maker. Uh, <laughs> I, there are some of the stuff where I, like, I don't know how they did it, like, I don't know how they coded it, because I know I don't know how to do that in RPG Maker, but <laughs> that was still, that's a... Uh, but, you know, and those were honestly pretty good. Uh, but, you know, that's... So let's get to our last topic now. Which oh, yeah, conventions. Conventions. Well... The thing that I think for us in the past five years has probably changed the most. Yeah, like, yeah. um... For us go personally. to conventions? Um, <laughs> like, well, yeah, before I started the Awesome Cast, I was honestly starting to get burnt out on conventions. We didn't do was, anime conventions. I guess well, you know, that. when I was going as just a regular attendee, yeah. I would go, I'd go to the occasional panel here and there, I'd go to the deals room and hang out with friends, you know, and just be like, oh man, I'm at a con. But it was right at the point where I'm like, well, well I'm at a con. Alright, well, well, that's fun. Been there, done that. Go went to a big con. Well, well it's a big con. Like, I, I was really, you know, I was getting kind of jaded and burnt out and I just really wasn't enjoying myself. And then when I started with the Awesome Cast, I realized, wait a minute, I'm, I, I can podcast about these things. I should go and I should cover these things. I should go to a, you know, go to panels, find out what's doing, like start thinking about things critically. You know, how is our dealer's room laid out? How was the selection? How's the crowds? How, blah blah blah. Yeah, I remember our first couple of of con reports. All we talked about was the dealer's room. That is not it. Like, the dealer's room is, is one of the things we talk about now, but we barely, like... Yeah, I have actually noticed I have less and less interest in the dealer's room. I'll go through there, but a lot of times I end up buying the stuff I see on Amazon cheaper afterwards. Right. Um, well, that's that's the trick, is that, yeah. you know, that's one of the things that has changed with anime cons, is that before, you know, even four or five years ago... That was where you got the deal, was at the anime Yeah, con. you couldn't get it anywhere else sometimes. Yeah, you know, if it wasn't so, if if it, even if like either it was something you, that you literally could not get anywhere else, or it was something that the it was so much cheaper to get it at the anime convention rather than trying to order it or find yeah. it or import it. Yeah, now if I buy something or dealer's room, it's either just something that really catches my interest that I haven't seen anywhere else, or it's something that's like an out of print. Like Overman King Gainer or Devil Man Lady, or at the last this Otakon, I got the two uh, Oniamis uh, Pat Labor movies that are like with the booklets and all the extras that were really expensive when they first came out, and I got them cheap. Well, ten years ago, ten years ago, I would literally. I, let, let me take that back. I don't want to say literally that much. I would practically wallpaper whatever room I moved into, like, whatever dorm room I moved into or apartment I moved into, my room would be just 
covered from full, from every exposed piece of wall would be covered in like an anime poster of some way uh in some way shape or form and then something like just snapped in my head and I suddenly decided that you know unless that is a painting or something truly beautiful I don't necessarily want to put it up. I don't want to put it up just yeah. because it features a bunch of characters that I like. Uh, and that's not... I'm not being critical against anybody who does want to do that. It's just in my house, I don't want to do that. Um, that's kind of funny in my case, where my mom literally stole some of my anime art to just put up where well, she wanted. I wonder if the reason is because I got a house. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I think it's a case of... But, uh, but kind of as that happened, as that happened, I stopped wanting anime stuff just to have anime stuff. The stuff I wanted from the dealer's room started to be more practical stuff. How can I use this? And in all actuality, there's actually not a lot of really practical merchandise out there. Well, for example, what I ended up buying at Otakon this year was I bought a bunch of different DVDs and Blu-rays mm-hmm. that were on, and I made sure I checked on Amazon first before I bought them, because I wanted to make sure they were good. Um, I bought a, a Japanese encyclopedia of all the monsters in Dragon Quest. Mm-hmm. They did, because I thought it would be a cool art book. I've also noticed that art books are more of a thing that I might buy than I used to. Yeah. Um, and I bought a Mazinger Z figure... To use in a tabletop role playing game, yeah. um. <laughs> like the things I've bought, I've purchased most lately from anime cons have mostly been kimonos, which I wear. Um, they've mostly been kimonos. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm trying to think back and still mostly kimonos. Uh. Um, let's see. I think I also bought some bento boxes so that I could pack my lunch and and take it take it with me. I bought a pocket watch. I bought a messenger bag. Everything I have purchased in the past five years, at the very least, has moved towards being um, has moved towards being very functional. The exception being uh, a figure of Raven that I think you actually got for me. And if I had seen it, I would have bought it. And that's because it's the one thing that I'm absolutely crazy about. So <laughs> yeah, I'm. I used to be really into. I guess I, I still think I right. am, but I used to be really into the Gundam plastic model kits. I haven't bought one in a real long time. Like I just haven't found one that made me go, "I gotta buy that and put it together." Like, because, and I, I just don't really put them any up anywhere anymore either. So I'm, you know, like my other figures, I, 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 I sold to somebody else when I need when I was strapped for cash at one point, but. That Raven figure I still have sitting up next to my computer because that's where mm. I've got to have it. Oh, and the pencil boards <laughs> you got me, which I actually use as pencil boards, which is what <laughs> they're for. <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, it's that's that's dealer's room stuff. Yeah. And you know, but I'd also know, so I went I went to panels way more because I want to actually cover things. Yeah. And that eventually got me to start running my own panels. Oh, I had zero interest in vo- in American voice actors five years ago. Zero interest, like no interest in them at all. But now I found it's actually really interesting to talk about talk to them. 
We'll talk to them, talk about them. I I still think I don't have a whole lot of interest in English voice actors, but I've met a few who are really awesome people. Well, that's why I have way more interest in them now. Uh, it seems like being, it seems like actually talking to the English voice actors has given me more of appreciation of how many anime fans really yeah. do depend on the dubs. Uh, it reminded me how much I initially depended on dubs when I was first getting into anime, and a lot of them are just really cool people to talk to, and they just have really interesting things to say. Yeah, I honestly probably wouldn't have been before we actually started people. I've become a big fan of both Michael Solisode and mm-hmm. uh, Richard Epcar, who we still need to do a long interview with him one day, like not that little short 10-minute thing we did. Uh, right. That, he he is awesome, but like I'm, and he's like a man of a million bit parts. But I, I love here, I love him now. I love when I hear his voice in something. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, and just doing panels is a completely different. Yes. Thing that I was used to because even like three, you know, four years ago, I didn't do panels. It's only been in the past like two or three years. It's been longer than two or three years because you started doing it first, and then I started doing it. Right. Well, I did it. I did it the the year that's that Hamacon once started. Yeah. At least on paper, I'm about to start doing it. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> that that January, I did my first panel in Hayakon. Yes. Like, and so that that was my first time doing a panel ever. And you did the panel. You did the tea, your tea panel that same year. Okay, so I guess. Yeah. So I, I did do it first, but not by much. And that was my, and I did the first like, on topic anime, yeah panels. Whereas you did do your 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 tea gasms. Yes, my tea gasms. A, a cultural panel, if you will. Well, uh, that's that's usually what my panels are about. Are more about Japanese his, historical culture. It's more about contextualizing anime and, and facets of anime yeah. that you you might not know because you're not obsessive like I am and research this particular topic. And also I think that's, that's another trick is that as this has gone on you have moved on just from the purely let me look at the pretty arts you that you opponent while well, you now are more into the cultural yeah. side than you used to be and I think that has moved over as well like before you know five or six years ago you would have bought in lots of different wall scrolls mm-hmm. now you want all sorts of awesome tea stuff. Yes, that that is true. Like, like uh, as we do this podcast, we're doing this in my house, which is why you heard my dog eating, why you probably hear my cat running about every now and then. Um, but right behind me is my china cabinet, which the first shelf has uh, my china in it. The other three shelves, the other three shelves are completely full of my tea of just teacups and teapots and that's actually not even the teacups that I use on the daily basis. Those are the nice teacups for when I'm throwing a tea party. But you also have sake sets in there as well. Oh yeah. Yes, I also do have sake sets. Uh, my tea ceremony stuff is actually boxed up in my in my room because I don't want it to get damaged. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying that you've like you 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 have stuff on display but the what you've now chosen to display is different than what it used to be. Yeah. And I think that's just more of your general interests have, you know... While you obviously watch a lot of anime and stuff because we talk about it... Yeah. You know, the what you want to own has changed. Yeah. Like, for me, for example, I'll still put up posters that I like, 
but I have to get them framed before I put them up. Yeah. Yeah. Like that has, that for me has changed. Yeah. But another big change has been, I am now, you know, a director at our local anime con. Mm-hmm. And y'all are both staff on the local, an- at the local anime con, Hamacon. Mm-hmm. And that is a gigantic change. Yeah. From five years ago. I do have to say, Basil, and I don't know if you're going to like this critique, so feel free to edit this critique out. <laughs> Feel free to edit this critique out if you think it's going to be too hard, but it seems a little bit, to me, like five years ago when we first started this podcast, it seemed like you were searching for your thing to show the world how awesome you are. It's a little bit like you were on your quest to try to show, hey, I'm Basil, I'm awesome. And you're my best friend. You are Basil, and you are awesome. But it it seemed a little bit like you were starting the podcast partially to show everybody else. But now, here we are five years later, you're the director of the local anime convention, you do have a podcast, you go to conventions and you get me into the sweetest parties at the conventions. I think everybody knows you're awesome now. And I think it's actually not really... And I think the podcast... I think the awesome cast has has helped that a little bit. But it's been more like the doing the awesome cast has been the thing that you did that got your your name in the door or your foot in the door, and now you have been awesome, and now you've moved on, so that now you're doing the awesome cast more as a oh, and I'm also doing this awesome cast to keep every to keep everything on track and to keep everything streamlined. Does that make any sense? It does. I don't know. One of the major reasons why I wanted to do the awesome cast, and I've been so gung-ho about the awesome cast, yeah, is because I don't think... I do have things to say. Yeah. And I hope that eventually at some point people would actually like to hear what I say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it also it came with, you know, before the awesome cast, I've been a fan of anime and video games for years upon years upon years. Yes. You know, most of them on my waking, you know, cognizant well, life. And... I think that's more what I was trying to get at. That's well, more what I was trying to get at. It's that you were trying to leave an imprint on right. anime culture. But it was... Yeah, yeah, I guess. But it's more of a... I needed something more than just watching it. Yes. I needed something, not, not just because I want people to hear me, but because I had things... I needed to get out. Yeah, you'd been doing it. Form. You'd been do, you'd been doing it so long. You were the president of the Huntsville, Alabama Anime Society for God ten plus years before you even started the Awesome Cast. You actually stepped down, uh, not so that you could start the Awesome Cast, but shortly after. Actually, no. We were you were still the president of that club when we first started. Cause right, I did step down to focus more on the Awesome Cast. Mostly because I didn't want to deal with the club stuff. Because yeah. I, I decided that, you know... Well, for a long time, you know, I was, you know, being the president of that club was sort of you know, the social yeah. thing I wanted to do. But then I decided that I wanted to do this podcast because I decided at that point I did want to be more of a critic. I wanted to think about things more than that I had before. It wasn't enough to just enjoy something. It was... I need to figure out why I was enjoying what I was enjoying. Yeah, you start needed... Start evaluating it, start thinking about it way more than anyone really should. Yeah, you, you you needed a venue in order to really get into it. 
more so than just being the leader of an anime club because right. you weren't getting into it to I, gosh this is such a complicated topic I'm trying to explain it okay it's not that you were the president of an anime club but you didn't want necess- it didn't seem to me like you necessarily wanted blind followers you didn't want people who adored you you didn't want people who hung off your every word you wanted to get into and I'm hesitant to say into the industry because it's not so much the anime industry that I think you wanted into, but I think you wanted to get into the fandom industry. Does that make any sense? Sort of. I see. Like, what, I see what you're at saying. The same, say. Like at the same time, you were you were also tentatively writing articles for various other anime blogs. You wanted to. You wanted just what you said to critically look at what you were saying analyze it, let everybody else know what you ha- the conclusions you'd come to, the thoughts that you'd had about it, because you had invested more time thinking about it than your casual person. And so you wanted to share those thoughts, and like I said, I think the podcast became the first step, but I think you've moved on in becoming a director of it and in uh, interviewing all these other people, and so I think you're still doing the awesome cast is mostly because you now find it's fun. Well, yes, but... <laughs> well, I've always thought it was fun. I, mean, I think you find it's fun. But for me, like, the awesome cast is still very central. Okay. Like, even though I'm the... You know, because for me, you know, honestly, being director of the Anime Cup Con, or a director of an Anime Con, is not entirely dissimilar to the whole running the Anime Club thing. Yeah. Like, honestly... If I were to quit the Austin cast and just did Hamacon, that really wouldn't help me any. Yeah. Like, what I get out of the Austin cast and, and thinking about things, doing panels helps, but it isn't the same thing. Okay. Like, honestly, if I had to give one up, I think I'd rather give up Hamacon before Austin cast. Don't give up Hamacon, you're so good at it. I didn't say I was going to, and I don't <laughs> have to. There's no reason for me to. But, you know. I feel the Austin cast, for to for me personally, is still a more important thing okay. than just running Hamacon. I'm not saying that running Hamacon, helping to run Hamacon, is awesome and amazing and it's very important. But it's you again, know, I've I've ventured us into like a delicate topic, so I apologize for venturing you in there, and you can edit this out if you don't like it. Meh, I'm lazy, and that's all on Anna, and she probably like well, no, it was it was here. We've talked about it too much to yeah. And nothing I, I don't I don't mind. So. I have little to contribute to that. I'm just kind of here because I don't know. Basil seems to think I have good things to say sometimes. You do well, have well, good things you to do. say. And it also, that's the reason why you know I can't just run an awesome cast by myself. And you know, the Kevin, there was a reason why when I when I finally decided to start doing my actual anime panels, why you were the first person I turned to and said, "Hey, Kevin, come help me." <laughs> um, and I do apologize that I ended making you put the slide so put together the slideshow part while I had to frantically run off and go do other well, stuff. Well, you like had a you had a crap ton of panels and at least I presented you with outlines and yes. research materials and we that had already about, done. And we had talked about it some beforehand. So I wasn't completely in the dark of what to And I have to say wanted. that that's that is the moment where I was reassured that we would be just fine with our panels when we kind of had a discussion about our all of our panels, you know, right before and we were just talking just to each other and there were other people in the room and they 
just happened to be very entertained by just listening to us talk to it, it gave me a lot of confidence actually to do, to return back to doing the Awesome Cast, even though I had already started doing Awesome Cast before that. It made me feel more comfortable just having an idle conversation with Kevin, having people sitting in the room going, man, y'all's is gonna be great. <laughs> Well, that's the case of also, you know, it's that, you know, I, I know I have awesome, amazing friends who also have awesome, amazing things to say, Yay. and they may not, you know, do it on their own, so that's why I'm forcing them into a front of a microphone. And it seems like three is sort of the magic number with this, um, yeah. for whatever reason. It doesn't, well, you're going to have Basil, and you don't necessarily have to have both of us, but if the, one of us isn't here, we usually got to get somebody else in to help. Well, if it's <laughs> just two people, two people will blank. You know, two people might blank at each other and get a little awkward and not know what else to say. Whereas with three people, somebody's always going to be able to balance or, or, or bounce off of one of the other people. But if you start getting four or five people, you start having too many people who want too many things to say. And while that may work for a dinner table conversation, it doesn't work necessarily We've certainly so done well. some of our con reports in that. Just everybody in the room who we can get who's vaguely related to podcasting. And sometimes those are awesome, and sometimes they're wild, drunk messes, and sometimes they're both. Like, yeah, well, yeah, it's also a case of, you know, with Kevin and myself, we always sometimes will like different things, so we tend to like the same thing. Yeah. There are many times the same reasons. Yes. And whereas, like, for you and I, mm-hmm. they can be, we'll like the same things, but for entirely different reasons. Yes. Um, so we kind but, of always need like a balancer at least someone who's gonna say something a little different or push us in a different direction than we're thinking but you know but it's not entirely separate subject not entirely separate you know we I have you know, one of the, the greatest benefits of doing the awesome cast is meeting and making a ton of new amazing friends over the years. Yeah. Like, meeting the guys to the Akihabara renditions who eventually turned into Seishin Con, a con themselves, and where they chose to run the con was more important than doing a podcast. You know, our fellow Tennessee, you know, you know podcast in arms, the Chainsaw Buffet. Oh, those guys are great. Like, you know, you know, John, Dylan, and Charlie, they, they, are, my, they are my buddies. They are, you know... They are podcast blood brothers. You know, eventually Charlie and I plan on doing a yeah. whole separate thing called 105 of the Bays where we're yeah. going to do a uh, morning talk show-esque thing. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. And, you know, we've hopped um, in on their podcast. They've hopped in on our podcasts. We've shared people back and forth. You know, um, yeah. well, you know, Doug hasn't really had a chance to really meet them, meet them yet. You know, I did get to, I, I am now buddies more or less. I like to think I'm buddies with AWO. With, like, Gerald and Daryl and Clarissa. Yeah, they seem like, to put up with us anyways. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I think when the moment I did let, let Gerald, like, stuff five guys' burgers into me, you know, <laughs> you know more, more than just the one I had originally, you know, I think I won his heart then. <laughs> like, but, you know... He already had yours. Like, uh, well, he, I, I have publicly said that Gerald is my waifu, I'm, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not going to take that back. But... <laughs> I've gotten to meet them. Yeah, you know, I got to meet the Reverse Thieves, you know, Alan and Kate, mm-hmm. and they are awesome folks. And Alan is one of our big listeners. And believe it or not, it was actually we we bonded over Kakaishi. Yay, like, Kakaishi! I don't know what is up with that anime. Like I have actually seen it 
in the English dub, and for some reason when I was watching it in the English dub, I was like, oh my god, this is terrible. But I remember when I watched it in Japanese, that's what got me to read the manga, which is amazing. The manga is amazing. And when I saw it in Japanese, I thought it was amazing. I don't know why when I saw it in the English dub, I thought it was terrible, because the dub itself wasn't that bad. But yeah, apparently, you know, reason how Alan found the awesome cast was because they had liked Kakaishi so much that he was looking for somebody else who liked Kakaishi. Ah, it's us. And, and it was us, yeah. and he's been listening to us ever since. So hi, Alan, I know you're listening. Thank you for being our buddy. Um, you can talk to me about Kakaishi anytime. So anyways. So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Paul from Race Movie Ever is an awesome dude, and I am blanking on so many other great, amazing people that I have gotten to meet. Uh, Pat's um, or at Twitter at Pat's Prime. Um, oh God, uh, this is why I didn't do anything. I yeah. didn't do any like tag people on Otakon on Twitter, like saying because I met so many awesome people. You know, again from last Otakon to this Otakon. You know, at Adib Way. Um, yeah, I can chime in and just just echoing the I've met so many awesome people because Basil has asked me to be on his awesome cast and we've interviewed a lot of interesting people. Well, um, not know, just yeah. not just the interviewing of people, and but we, like actually just like yeah. because I have a press badge, people come at a con coming up and talking to me just because I had a press badge, no other reason. Yeah, oh god, you know, people from MTAC, like John and Lauren and Nico. Yeah. And all those people, and all you know, the, uh, Jess and Stucky from MomoCon. All the people who run our favorite Southeast cons are, uh, <laughs> we met largely by this podcast. Like I said, you know, StationCon with, like, you know, Mark, Drew, and Richard, and, and even Bonin. You know, I don't know if he listens, but, you know, there, there's just so many amazing people I've gotten to meet over the years. And, you know, like... Thank you all for, for putting up with us and me. Mostly me putting up with me. Um, and Basil's quiet, weird friend. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and as we're finishing up this thing, you know, again, as I've mentioned it in our pre, pre-show pre banter, and, you know, that's in the uh, cast page, as, you know, we, uh, I know at least I very much, you know, I, I miss you, Eric. Like, one of the original founders of this was a guy named Eric White, who passed away a year or two ago uh, due to heart complications. And I know we mentioned this before, but, you know, he was he was central to get this podcast started. And while he's not, while eventually he kind of dropped off with it himself, like his life got too busy for it. Um, and he really, you know, he, he passed away before he could really, you know, lend you know, his voice to it again. You know, yeah. Like, this is hopefully that these audio waves are reaching to you someday, somehow, somewhere. Boy, is that somber! But um, so really, thanks, folks. Thanks for listening to us. This has been a hundred episodes of the Awesome Cast. I'm hoping for a hundred more. I'm going to go ahead and start us off. And give all of you listeners a hundred awesomes out of a hundred awesome casts. Um, that's, that's pretty good. Well, technically, it, it, this is going to be the hundred fourth, hundred and fortieth episode uploaded to this to the website. So you could say hundred and forty episodes out of the awesome cast. 
I could. Or you can do one fuzzy goat nipple. I don't know. I mean, it's whatever you want. <laughs> Hurry up and write it and get out of my house. I don't know. <laughs> one weirdly awesome ride that is yet to end of awesome. And I'm just, once again, I need to give one gigantic thank you out of awesome for listening to us. Hopefully you still do. This is, I believe, our fourth episode updated in a row that's been pretty much on time. As long as, you know, everything goes well on the editing side. This episode will be on time. Also, thank you, Anna, who's our new editor. She's been doing an awesome job so far. Thank you for helping us get this out on something resembling a regular basis. I haven't listened to it. They all sound good. Okay. Yeah, and helping us get this out on something resembling a regular basis. Also, you know, I don't know if he ever listens to these things anymore himself, but thank you, James, for being our editor for years. Yeah. Upon years. You know, give me my new theme like song. four of them. One day. One day my new theme song would be nice. Um, and thank you all. And this is the awesome cast. We're, this last segment by itself was almost an hour. So with that, thanks. And we are out. Solieri, like I understand what's going on. That depressing feeling of, man, I'm awesome, but I'm only awesome enough to recognize the awesomeness of others, not enough to actually be awesome. <laughs>